Hey, Jimbo, you ready for this deal? Hey, fire in a hole, Cody. <laughs> Old stories like long lost friends Rodeos and late night bends History before our time Round pens and pasture rides Cowboys of the Osage Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Cowboys of the Osage podcast, brought to you by the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum, located in historic downtown Pahuska, Oklahoma. Hey, it's O'Cody over here, and as always, I got my main man with me, Mr. Rodeo Historian himself, Jimbo Snively. Morning, Jimbo. Good to see you. Who do we have on today? Hey, Cody boy. Good to see you, and it's just a great day in Osage. And uh, Cody, we got two real special guests with us today. We've got Mr. Alan Keller, world champion steer roper, national finalist bulldogger, national finalist team roper, movie star, bodyguard, stuntman, uh, arena director at the first NFR. Historic name, one of the most historic names in rodeo. It it really is. And uh, he's known far and wide. and, uh, And we've also got his daughter with us today, too, Shailene. And uh, they've got a, quite an interesting story to tell us. And uh, we're just tickled. They made the drive down here from way up in Kansas to see the museum and to be on the podcast with us. And we're really, really proud to have them. And uh, guys, welcome to the Cowboys of the Old Sage podcast. Thank you. Glad to have you, Alan. Yeah. Hi. How's everybody today? <laughs> Doing great. Shailene, how'd you come to meet Alan? How'd you find him? It was a journey that took me about 25 years looking for my birth mom. And um, I found her 12, 13 years ago. When I met her, she had suffered from Parkinson's, and her memory was a little clouded from that. Um, Over time, after she laid eyes on my son, Theo, she had a few more memories, was able to clue me in that I was looking for a cowboy, had a college education, was tall, But that's kind of where she left me. So fast forward a few years, and um, I was on 23andMe, and I got a hit. So I called my birth sister, and I said, take a look and see if this person's related to you. And she responded back, no, not on my 23andMe. So I reached out to the man. He was in Montana. And I said, I think you're related to me. Here's my story. I'm looking for a cowboy. I don't know much. I was born in Phoenix, Arizona, 1967. And he said, well, I don't think I can help you. I don't know much about my family history, and I'm new to this. Took him about two days, I think, and he reached back out to me, and he said, you know what? My dad had two cousins, and he said one was a fairly famous cowboy. So I said, okay, and I said, can you give me a name? And he said, Alan Keller. So that was the first step. It was finding Alan that got tricky. I um, was told by this cousin that he had been in the movies, so I looked up some pictures, and there was this guy growling 
off the face of the phone at me, and I'm looking at him, trying to decide if he looks like me, trying to decide if he looks like my son. So I reached out to the Hall of Fame and, and asked if they had any photos of an Alan Keller. And I reached out to CSU because Alan was an All-American wrestler there and also was on the rodeo team. And it took them two or three days, and I got back some pictures, and I was looking at myself and my son, and then I was pretty sure I knew that I had hit the jackpot. And so then I had to find him. So I took me a little while, talked to some people, finally got a good idea that he was probably there in Olathe, Colorado, so I decided I would send a little sloppy handwritten letter to him, and if he responded, great. If not, I hadn't wasted a lot of time on it, and I sent it two days before Father's Day. They told me it would not get there for Father's Day, and I believe it arrived. They told me it was going to arrive on Tuesday. I believe it arrived on a Monday, and um, Alan didn't let much grass grow under his feet. I got a phone call that day from Montrose, Colorado. I had a pretty good idea. I didn't know anybody else in that part of the country. And um, from there, we chatted on the phone for several weeks. Then I went out, we went out, we did a DNA test. Alan said, maybe we should do a DNA test. He wasn't coughing much up at that point. I said, do you think I look like you? Well, I don't know. But he said, let's do that DNA test. So we did the DNA test and... um, it was the best score Alan's ever gotten on a test. It was like a 99.4, so he got an A that day. <laughs> so that was the start. Yeah. What did you think when she first contacted you, Alan? Well, I knew it was real the way she worded things, and uh, I could tell that she was right on about some things, and I didn't. I knew I was in... Phoenix when she said I was but I didn't I didn't have a clue but I I had no reason to back off I just thought well it's a good deal so uh and you not only she gives a lot of orders once in a while that I'm not used to but (laughs) I I take them you not only had found a daughter you had a grandson you looks just like you too yeah Theo was working on his football. Uh, quiet kid, but a real nice kid. Right. Uh, had a lot of good raisins, so that helped him. Uh, he's uh, be 21 here in a few days. He's uh, kind of interested in the football, but... You know how it is with some of these coaches and stuff. It just probably take him a while to work into it. Right, right. What was your first meeting like? I flew to Montrose. Alan picked me up. It was during COVID, so we were both masked. We both had our mask on, and I'm kind of scanning the crowd, trying to just identify eyes at that point. Right. And um, Alan was there. We met. We went out to Alan's place. Pretty much spent three days going through old pictures, rodeo history. Ran around Montrose a little bit. I don't think we went to Telluride that time. I think we just stayed close to the house and um, just hung out 
explored, looked at pictures, talked a lot, which Alan can do, and so can I. So we um, did a good job of that. And I think that's pretty much what we did the first time. I came back a few weeks later, maybe a couple months later with the family. We spent a week up around Telluride, hung out, got to know him a little better. We've, we've done a lot of fun things since then together. We've had a lot of adventures. I know you have. Yeah, it's we've been had good, some fun Good ones. for both of you, I'm sure. When you were doing your research on him, <clears throat> before you met him, <laughs> what were you thinking? Like, holy moly, look at this famous guy that... That I don't know yet. What what do you think about you know, his I was, career? I was laughing to my friends. I said, you know, I was looking for an old man in polyesters. I met Alan Keller. <laughs> um, I always, in my heart, knew that my birthday was an athlete. I've always been very competitive and love sports. And um, always been drawn to the Southwest and to the West and to the rancher lifestyle. That's always been a draw to me. So I think I was pretty captivated by it, a um, little bit apprehensive, but had decided, I'm all in, let's see what happens. So, it, you know, it's fascinating. I'm, um, I'm, ca- I'm still very captivated by the old rodeo, and I love meeting all these guys. I've just had an amazing time. I've met people I never dreamed I would meet and um, had opportunities that have just been amazing. You guys have went several places that I've kind of kept up with you through the Facebook somehow, sure. through Jimbo. Sure. Saw where y'all went to Hawaii and y'all went to the Timed Event Championship in Guthrie. and We sure did. Um, I've got a great friend that grew up in Beverly Hills. Her dad actually was Chill Will's talent agent. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so they moved to Hawaii and Alan and I got the opportunity in January to go spend eight days with them. Went to Guthrie. During COVID, my son was actually living in L.A. Alan and I had the opportunity then to drive cross-country, take my son his car. We visited several of his friends on their ranches on the way, went into Phoenix, spent the night, explored that, went to the rodeo grounds, did a few things like that, and then um, on to L.A., where I got to meet people who Alan had done movies with or been involved with then, and so... Got the opportunity to meet John Voigt with Alan, another friend of his, a writer, Ted Mann. Fascinating. It was just, we've had a great time. We've had fun. Making up for lost time. We are. Ah, we are. That's great. I love Ted's stuff. working on the Billy Bob deal or with Billy Bob about something down there in Texas. Now, I, I met him on Deadwood. He's a very famous writer. I get along with him good, but... I'd got poison to be two years in July. Neighbors with some H and Orange been barred since 1985, and I had to have a little heart surgery in January. Shailene come in there. And I done pretty good on that deal. I'm still kicking. Yeah. Sound like you found her just in time, or she found you just in time, or something. I don't know. I got sick on him that week. He took care of me. So, <laughs> so yeah, we've, we've had an opportunity. I think things are always meant to happen when they happen. Right. Sounds like well, she's, uh likes horses and stuff. I don't know how good she is. It's all been conversation. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. There's a reason. <laughs> 
Well, it's in her blood. She's probably a natural. Actually, I wish I were. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's been good for me. A lot of help. Get you through the sickness. And we got to do a lot of things together. It's just getting interesting. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Did you know Chill Will's out, out there? I know Chill. Chill used to come to uh, the horseshoe all the time out in Vegas. Having him a little Samsonite suitcase. And uh, him and Benny Binion was good friends, but I didn't know really what the deal was. But I guess when Benny was in Dallas, Chill sold newspapers or something, you know, was hanging around. And, of course, Benny had a few guys like that around to give him some information that was going on. So you wouldn't walk, so you wouldn't step in it, as the Texans would say. Uh, quite a guy we, uh, I used to get a kick out of him. Everybody did. Flying back to L.A. with him one day, had this little blue sips a night, and somebody was talking to him, and I wouldn't hit it around the corner. <laughs> oh, man, he come unglued and, Finally, I said, I got to go over there. And I, I found it, Chill. I found it. Oh, he threw his arms around me. He was so happy. But her friends in Beverly Hills' father was Chill's agent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Crazy. And he lived across the street from where they lived in Studio City. So, yeah. Chill Will's probably my favorite, one of my favorite character actors. He just was good in in everything, you know. You know my favorite? McClintock. Yeah, McClintock. When, he when he's, you know, yeah. John oh. uh, McClintock's right-hand yeah. man. Right. Or McClinic. Right. J.W. called him J.W. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. He's got another hat up there. We got to go to town and get one or something. Yeah. I don't remember what he said. Yeah. Jill yeah. Wills, he was a cool dude. Yeah. What was it like hanging out in Hollywood with all those guys all the time, Alan? Well, uh, Dean Shandell took me out there. Pretty much the first time he had a, he was one of the original owners of Caesars. He used to take care of the slots over at the Sands when the Rat Pack and all of them was over there. And he had a place up on Coldwater Canyon apartment. And it was a little, little new for me eating brisket sandwiches and I like to watch the girls walk by. Uh, there are a lot of them out there. Then I'd go with Jimmy Conn and them to a nightclub. It was called the Candy Store. And, uh, you know, there'd be Jimmy Brown in there and Bubba Smith and uh, the little musician uh, had the long hair. Um, Uh, can't think of his name right now, but then we'd go to Hefner's and I'd just get a drink in the corner and watch the parade. He'd, uh, you talk about Hugh Hefner? Yeah, from the, the Playboy, Playboy Club. They okay. would, um, he had a theater and somehow he'd get the Muhammad Holly and the fights from Africa taped in. And people from all, everybody you'd ever heard of come into the theater to watch 
the fights that he had taped in. And, of course, during the day, they were all playing Baccarat, uh, one of them games. I stayed away from pretty much that, just just watched things as they went by. Did you ever meet old Hef over there? Oh, yeah, all the time. I, I got a kick out of Hef. Uh, sure, I met him all the time. Uh, of course, he had laughed because uh, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't the type of guy that would be around a lot of cowboys, you know. No. <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah, I, I, I had fun pretty much everywhere I went. We'd, we'd go to Malibu and all that, and it was just, just kind of educational, got to see a lot of stuff you wouldn't have got to see usually that a lot of people don't get to see. And like uh, got to meet Joe Lewis. He was a host in Caesar's Palace and got to meet a lot of them guys with in Beverly Hills that you usually wouldn't have, like Bobby Evans, done The Godfather, and... Uh, Cheryl Teague's husband had done Pop Pop Fizz Fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Stander Gotti. Those kind of guys. And Tony Curtis, he always was, he loved cowboys. He had sat around with cowboys and they'd get him to come to Vegas to ride in a parade for the Eldorado days. And it was quite an education for a kid that had never been there. And I got to... Because of the people I knew, I got to go places that most people would never be able to go. Right. Bob Evans, that's a name right there. Oh, yeah, all those guys. What was that Bob Evans fella like? He seemed like he would have been a good time to hang out with well, me, Jimbo. He's just my kind of guy, I think. I think he was a good guy to be hanging out with. Uh, I'd done a movie called Convoy with Ali McGraw. She had a son with Bobby Evans. and Then I think later on, I think he had a lot of problems, like a lot of them do out there, but after The Godfather and stuff. But he put, put together some pretty, pretty good stuff. Right. Sounds like quite a life. It does sound like quite a life. Oh, Robert Evans. For an old bulldogger. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. No kidding. No kidding. He's hanging out at the... Did you ever go to the Playboy Mansion or just go to the Playboy Club? I used to stay there at the mansion. Uh, Jimmy Conn was stayed there for a while. And uh, sometimes I'd be staying in his room. I'd be staying in another room. And and uh, Heff had come in. One know he had a cook around the clock. One know if we needed anything to eat and stuff. And... He was always in his bathrobe walking around, you know, and I'd ask him some questions. He'd laugh. But I got along with him. And then there was a guy that was a friend of Regis Fillman's that was always there. Uh, a lot of big parties. You know, the parade there was just unbelievable for country kid like me but I didn't have the wallet to afford them kind of women right 
Where would you guys rope out there in Hollywood? You mentioned you and James Can, Con. Is it Can or Con? Con. James Con. James Con. James Con. You guys rope together quite a bit and hung out quite a bit. When you're out in Hollywood, where would you guys practice uh, roping? Well, Who all would be there working the shooting stuff? They had uh, had some rainers up at New Hall. Um, but I wouldn't rope with him much out there. We went up to Hanford where H.P. Evans was, roped a few times. Uh, uh, most of the time he'd come to Vegas at Shindell's and I'd have to drive all night because they was going to be up early in the morning and they started stirring about 1 o'clock in the afternoon after I drove all night. But most of the time, everything happened in Vegas and practice. Right. Were you more of a driver, or were you a cowboy that didn't like driving and slept and didn't care who drove? There's a lot of people. There's both. There, there's cowboys on both ends of the spectrum. My dad got in the camper one time, and I was like 13 years old and told me to drive to Odessa. Yeah. Hell, I was scared, but he wasn't scared was at that all. that when it went start snowing? It started snowing on me, Jimbo. <laughs> in Odessa. Well, between Lubbock and Odessa, it did. I, uh... In January. I drove a lot of miles. I, I've been down to Bardich further than a lot of these guys will be <laughs> down the road. Uh, I don't know the daughter. She put 60,000 miles on her car in a few months. I don't know. My mother was always on the go, but i done a lot of driving, especially when we hit the mountains with some of them cowboys and... You know, I hauled a few of them bull riders around, and they wouldn't even help you get the water buckets out when you get there, you know. And uh, But I done a lot of driving. I got one for you. Did you know old Tom Gibson up there? I sold Tom the Randy Two horse that uh, he was, uh, he married Scott Laramore and Tony's mother, Bill Laramore, had passed away, and he was up at Grand Junction, and I was getting ready to quit rodeoing. And Matlock Rose worked for G.B. Howe. Now, G.B. Howe was quite a character. He was a great horseman, an oil man. There was two of them I met in my life, oil men that I thought were great horsemen. One was L.L. Tuck in Colorado. He had seven own daughters at trios one time. He had Dresna and Royal Dalton and some three-bar mares and some people in Montana stole them. Uh, killed a couple three-bar mares, a guy named Watkins and Miller up above Benny Binion's ranch. And he got Royal Dalton back, and I think she's the only mare outrun Easy Jet. And then later on, I didn't have any money. I was a good friend of BF and Ann from Little Ann that sold the four sixes, and I got them to make a deal where they bred their mares to dash for cash. And uh, uh, But anyway, old man Howe, Madlock showed Randy, they called Randy one, Randy two, one of them in the team time. And the other one in the calf roping. And Marvin Cantrell went Houston on Randy, too. And he was over at Sunland Park when uh, Mr. Howe moved over there and bought a lot of land around Sunland Park. 
And uh, I come in there to go to Pecos to the steer roping finalists. And uh, there's a guy named Bubba Casho that trained Dash for Cash and stuff. I think he was on a little San Pepe when he was a two-year-old. And he kicked him in on the right side, and he throwed him higher in that arena, that round pin. And I went to laughing. And he said, I don't know who that is. You better not ever tell nobody I'll kill you. <laughs> and so uh, I bought Randy two. And Ace Barry and I went and roped some cattle on him, and we'd had a long night, and I don't think we caught anything. But I made a deal with Mr. Halda by Randy, too. And they were going to find me some money, I think it was, for whipping Jim Bynum at Phoenix. I whipped him at Houston. He went to messing with my bad leg, and I didn't like it. And... uh Dale Smith said, this awful nice-looking horse you got. And I said, yeah, I give a lot of money for him. I give 3000 for him. He said, I didn't think the horse money would make a horse. I said, well, you're going to see this horse later on. And so we'd coming back from Calgary, and they had, uh, I think, the VE outbreak in Texas. A lot of guys wasn't going to get there, and I never tripped a steer on Randy. And when Matlock and them would get through winning all the rest of Ropas, they faced him to the right. And you see all steerer horses, they face them back to the left. Well, really, it's an afterfact, an afterthought anyway. So... I had my dad bring them to Cheyenne. Well, we flew in from Calgary, and I think I was hauling that guy that wrote the book, The Cowboys or something, and I left the trailer in the rig with some guys in Billings, and we get to Cheyenne, and I tell my dad to take his horse around the track. He'd been in the pasture two or three times. He'd come back. He was breathing a little heavy, and... Phil Lyons need the horse to ride. Camarillo's need the horse to ride. A kid from... There was six, eight guys that morning in the slack need the horse to ride. And I looked over at my dad and I asked him to take him around the track one more time and he kind of gave me that look he always did when I was a kid. Well, the steers was fresh the first time at Cheyenne. They'd walk out there. And Randy was pretty much out of air. And they'd have to holler at him one or two because he'd drag the horse over. But about the fifth or sixth times, I made a steer roping horse out of him. And then I'd head on him with John Miller and them. They couldn't believe it. But Mr. Gibson, I was getting ready to quit. He lived in Grand Junction, so I, I made a deal to sell him Randy. And he had moved to Texas, so I don't know. I hadn't seen Mr. Gibson. I talked to his wife, talked to his daughter and son, but I had never saw him after that. He passed away a year or two ago. He's famous for making this uh, new rope and shoot called the Shoot Help. 
But the story I was going to tell you on him is uh, he was parked beside my dad at a roping up there in Wyoming one day. And my dad walked around the corner, and the roping was over, and old Tom was just rubbing his leg, going, oh, oh, and then he'd rub his shoulder, and oh. And he said, Mr. Gibson, Tom, you need some help here? Oh, yeah, Rock, you mind uh, taking my horse over and watering him real quick? I hadn't watered him yet. Okay. So he takes his horse and waters him over there, and he said, Rock, boy, this knee's just killing me. Can, uh, Can you unsaddle him for me? Put the saddle right there in the trailer if you would. No problem, Mr. Gibson. Takes the saddle off, puts it in. He said, you mind hooking onto this trailer for me? I'm just not feeling up to it. My dad said, yeah, no problem, Mr. Gibson. I'll hook right onto that trailer for you. He did all this, and Tom just rubbing his shoulder in his knee, and he got it all done, and the horse loaded. And Tom, he said he just stood up and said, well, I guess I'll see you at the next one, Rocky. (laughs) Started jogging off. Yeah. yeah, you know, what was funny about Mr. Howe, uh, he bought a horse here in Oklahoma called Leo San. He's the father of Peppy San. And uh, he had a horse called Mr. San Peppy, I believe his name is, the one that bucked Casho off. Well, he caught Casho with his fingers in the till over there at Sunland. And uh, he made him an expert witness on a horse deal in Midland, Odessa, in the federal court. And Mr. Howell had tied my tie and put a jacket on me out of the, from the bailiff every year. So then I got to know him pretty good and and Madlock had had a falling out with him, Madlock Rose. And so Madlock and Carol called me and wanted me to go to El Paso to buy him Mr. Sam Pepe. I think that was his name. I always called him Little Pepe. Very famous horse. And it was $60,000. And we had a few drinks every, every day. And he said, tell Rosie he better part with the money. And... uh Matlock says too much money and Carol wanted to buy him. And so I left town and I saw John Welsh down here in Oklahoma at the Iron Man. And he told me about Buster buying a horse. And I talked to Teal Clayberg about him bucking Casio off over there. And, uh, but there's a horse made a few million dollars, I think. Right. He was out of Leo Sand, same as the rope horse that Mr. Gibson had. I'd like to see them horses today. They all, they all had a foot on them, a head bone on them. They were something you'd go do anything on. That T.O. Kleberg, Jimbo, he was in the museum here a, couple, a year ago or so with uh, Red Steagle. Red Steagle brought his whole group of guys in here in uh, Red Rangers. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know he was the owner of the King Ranch at the time. I asked him who he was. He stayed, everyone else went eating, and uh, T.O. Mm-hmm. stayed right here waiting on everybody. And uh, I asked him who he was. He said, oh, I'm Red's assistant is what he told me. And I said, uh, he said something about ranching, and I said, you want to see some, some real ranching stuff back here, and let me go show you. And I gave him a tour and showed him the Drummond Ranch right, and the right. Mullendore Ranch and the old Chapman Barnard Ranch stuff. And he never once told me he was the, yeah. <laughs> the owner of the King Ranch. And later that day, somebody 
said, holy moly, do you know old T.O. Kleeberg was here in town? Yeah. I said, yeah, that's Red's assistant, is what I said. <laughs> yeah. They said, no, son, that's the owner of the King Well, Ridge. they moved him on when after he run that for a long time, and I think I was roping it post, and I met the Bagses. And they have some ranches in West Texas and whatever. There's two girls, Julie and Judy. And Julie went with this Steve Bruton, uh, Christopherson's guitar picker. And I give uh, Judy a ride back to Weatherford. Went in and met her mother she had a diamond ring on about that big, and she looked over at them glasses at me, and I didn't know it for a long time, but her name was Electra. Her name before Bags was Electra Wagner. <laughs> but anyway, I, I'd heard that Judy's husband was the CEO or had something to do with it down there. The King Ranch. So... I hadn't seen Teal Claiborne a long time, and of course, I haven't been to Texas a lot. I used to like to go down to those big ropings. You'd meet a lot of pretty famous people. Right. And um, Bia Phillips and Little Ann would buy me in the Calcuttas a lot. Quite a bit of money. Yeah. So... And then I I took him to Vegas, watched Muhammad Ali work out. And last time I seen her there was at Benny Binion's birthday party. I don't know, Willie and Merle and everybody played there to Thomas and Mac. I think that's the last time I seen her. But uh, it was good being around them kind of people. And it made you feel good when they backed up and spend four or five thousand a loop on you in the Calcutta. Mm-hmm. But you better try to get some of it back too. Right. <laughs> they like you a lot better if you win some of it back, I yeah. imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> They're a lot more friendly. Well Tony Maker used to buy me a lot here. Oh yeah. Uh, Joel yeah. Maker's dad. Yeah. You spent a lot of time around Pahuska, haven't you, John? Uh, well it was pretty hot in June. I had to get out of town. Yeah, yeah I spent time. Yeah. With Johnny Miller and his dad and Ben and Ben's mother. You've probably been out the pig stand a few times, haven't you? Oh, I love the pig stand. Uh, Clark's pig stand. Uh, what do you remember? You won the world championship here at the Husker in 1972 at the finals. Well, we had pretty good-sized steers, and uh, I don't know if I win much here. I think a place to go around or two, but... Uh, I thought it was quite a deal to win it in Pahuska where so many great ropers had come from and a lot of horses lie. I used to love to look at the horses here. They had a lot of good horses and uh, of course I always liked to look at the horses. Pretty women, they always had pretty women. I married one of them. And, uh, <laughs> I did too. Yeah, you did I too, just, Jimbo. You married above your head. Big I time. really enjoyed it. And uh, they gave me a watch. Mm-hmm. 
uh, the Rolex it's a in Rolex. it. It's a Rolex. And it's got a Wesson carton in it. Uh, world champion steer roper. And uh, I just like the people here. They were all friendly. And uh, there's some steer kinda, roping fans, too. I kind of come from that area in Colorado. Uh, but today I don't know nobody. I used to know everybody from wrestling, rodeo, in Western Colorado. Today they're all Californians, New Yorkers. I just like the atmosphere here and the people. And uh, it was a good place to go, but I remember it being pretty warm in June during the roping. Warm it, and humid. It can be for yeah. sure. For, for sure. sure We're going to try it again this yeah. year. And, uh, I'd never had green tomatoes. Ben Johnson's mother made me fried green tomatoes. Kitty Lashley over at Fairfax, she'd make me fried green tomatoes. And then we went noodling down the Arkansas River with Ben and a bunch of Ben had, Johnson. Had quite a catfish fry. Yeah. There's did some you, pretty good cooks around here. Did you stick your hand back up in one of those holes? Oh, no. I kind of stayed away from the bank. I kind of stayed out by the boat, and uh, big catfish come up and hit old Ben, and uh, via the ribs, he went down a little, and I grabbed him. I, it took him a little while to get a little air in him. But, uh, no, I that noodling was new to me. And uh, I'm not a big snake man anyway. Well, Cody's not either. But, I guess that, this is the only state it's legal in, I think. But I had a chance to go to Africa one time, and snakes here don't bother me near as much as over there. Can you imagine going noodling in Africa? Without, oh, with crocodiles. With anybody, with anything. Right. No. I'd pull out a big old crocodile. I used to like to noodle. I, I noodle a lot, but I wouldn't do it in Africa. No. <laughs> have to draw a line somewhere. <laughs> you were a big-time hunter, weren't you, Alan? Didn't you do a lot of hunting? Oh, I used we. It was a family deal. Uh, go hunting in the fall, and uh, of course the thirty thirty was the big gun back then. And I remember my dad them saying after the big gold rush and everything, uh, if they seen a deer, they talked about it all winter. But when I was a young kid, there was a lot of deer. And uh, Dad had an old 46 truck, and I don't know, I might have had eight, 16 licenses back then when you were a kid. And uh, We'd go to a little canyon and couldn't see nothing. You might throw a rock off or something. A couple of big old bucks that head out through there, and you had your 30-30, and it was just kind of, Lugard across the canyon. It was kind of a guest deal. But uh, then we'd all go elk hunting, and I'd try to get home and buy the groceries, the tents, the pack saddles, and make sure we had enough horses. But we'd start down the bottom of the canyon, and if we didn't have enough horses, we'd get a hold of one's tail. And we'd done a lot of walking, so you were still pretty good shape. Uh, a lot of elk in the high country then. 
now there's a lot of backpackers and these razors and stuff and all them elk's been pushed down on like Ralph Lorenz ranch, Sleeping Indian ranch, all them ranches. Too much traffic up in the mountains. But went to Alaska, the Yukon, uh, Wyoming, Montana. Went to Montana, Peckinpah, Sam Peckinpah, the director. Warren Oates had bought a ranch up there. Went out to Idaho, Nevada hunting. and Yeah, I miss it. What were you doing in Africa? Were you hunting in Africa? Well, I meet these people come into western Colorado, and uh, they invited me up to a little ranch they'd bought, and Tom Freakin's father started PSA Airlines. Well, Carol Shelby got him into the car dealership in, I think, 1968, so he bought Gulf States Toyota. It's five states, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Texas. Uh, cars and parts. And <clears throat> Tommy owned big hunting rights in Botswana at the time. And then they owned some real large ones in Tanzania. But he took me to Africa. And then um, about January after the finals, they have a big safari show in Vegas, Reno some years. They moved it to Nashville last year, and I guess they really loved it. But people come from all over selling their hunts, their fishing deal, and their diamonds, jewelry. It's just guns, a lot of English guns and stuff. And when it was Vegas, I used to take a lot of people down to the horseshoe and feed them and... But uh, I love Botswana. They tell me Tanzania uh, is really great, all the hunters I know. But it was a great, a great month, a little over a month there. We were there. Wow. Shot. We went to different camps. They were setting up new camps, and I shot the meat for each camp, and we were with some great trackers, and... It was, grass was about five, six foot tall there in April. And they, the big hunts, they usually wait until the grass dies down, see, but they're setting up camps. How would you like to walk through five foot tall grass in Africa, not knowing what you're going to walk up on? <laughs> I wouldn't. Like a lion. You ever seen that show, uh, Africa, Texas, Tile Jimbo? No. It's where they get all these cowboys, and they send them over there to uh, catch animals for a zoo. But they're roping them all. Well, that's kind of like that John Wayne movie. You remember that John Wayne movie? Oh, yeah, Hitari. Yeah, yeah that was pretty good, too. For sure. Well, they, uh, I was kind of like a tourist. We were in Mound, Botswana, and walked in with a cowboy hat, and Soren Lenskum just passed away a year or so ago, but his wife had a place called the Duck Inn. Walked in there, cowboy, and somebody always had to make noise about Texan or something, mm-hmm. you know. It was it was quite interesting, but before that, we went fishing in Namibia right below 
the Skeldon Coast. And I didn't know they had white salmon. And we were with the head of the Afrikaans police. And that's when Angola was still pretty tough. And we had an embargo against South Africa. And uh, wine was a dollar. And this white salmon was the best thing they had to cook. And when they hollered, they're going fishing, you better have gotten that truck. And we went north of the camp about 10 miles, and that river was just as dry as dry, a little old stream coming down through it, a big wide valley. I didn't think much about it, and we went 10 miles south of that camp. Those great big trees was rolling down there, and it was over a mile wide. Just unbelievable. The water that come out of Angola. Of course, Namibia's got the sand dunes, you know, that skeleton coast. And that's where they used to every once in a while find a Spanish galleon that got caught in the sand dunes. But those sand dunes had moved and it rained and there was green grass on them the next day. Ah. Uh, it was quite a deal to see the elephants and see all, well, all, oh, yeah. everything that was going on. I imagine. Cody, I was just reading the other day in the paper that reminded me about fishing. These three fishermen over there in Africa, and they kind of split up. And one of them was trying to retrieve his lure or something, and a crocodile ate him, drug him off in the water and ate him. Well, Tommy freaking and the family done a lot of bird hunting and i'd get to fly over with them in scotland about five or six times spain england we went to columbia a time or two and so when i quit rodeo and i just kind of stayed in the mountains a lot and went sheep hunting and i met tom it took me all over i got to see a lot of stuff a lot of people wouldn't get to do Touch back on your rodeo just a minute. You were at Cheyenne, was it 72, when you set the arena record in steer roping? Uh, I went in the world in 72. I don't know if I might have been 71. Uh, I went the first go-round three years in a row, you know, mm -hmm. the fresh cattle. Right. And they were big cattle. Hyde Merritt always had nice big cattle for Cheyenne, and they were fresh. And back then, uh, they'd take the roping calves off the cows and the cows was at the other end of the arena and it was pretty interesting and nobody ever mentioned short in the score from right. 30 feet and uh, they don't mention about the bulldogger striking like they did a few years ago uh, but you had good hazers like Don Huddleston and Jim Smith down here in Oklahoma and going a little faster, there wasn't no problem. But I don't know why. When I set the arena record, this, this steer was on the hook and Clark McIntyre was laughing. I said, it ain't funny, he's mine. <laughs> and uh, I told everybody on the back of the shoots they had been partying pretty night the year, pretty good the night before and They'd hoop and holler, and the steer come out and went right, and Billy Weeks was flagging, and the steer sent him. He jumped over towards the racetrack. Lewis Kincaid was over there. The reason I know that, I got a picture. 
Then the steer jumped back, but he had a right horn that went down, left horn went up. I was wondering how I was going to rope him, so I headed the steer horse to the left of him. And that steer turned his head to look at me, back to the right. And I dropped that loop and cut it across him, and I already had the trip. Uh, well, I started tripping. I couldn't follow him and lay the trip. I had to do it all at once. You put a rat and half hitch on him? I uh, no, I ducked under it. I had a, I used cotton pigging strings like Ike Root. I ducked under the rope behind my horse, and I see how the corner of my eye is going to turn. I put them all on him because he is wild. I put two wraps in a hoolie. I remember you used to you, he that string he was using was big, and a and a good tight wrap and a half hitch would hold. But that thing wouldn't. After you wore it down, it wouldn't slide. Yeah. See? Yeah. I don't know. I watch these guys rope calves with these nylon strings. They throw them over there in the rain off the front foot. Right. They got them. I, I looked at one down there at Guthrie. It was stiff. It's a stick I'm carrying. I don't know how they stay tied anyway. Because yeah. back then they used to use grass string and didn't have a problem tying right. them fast. Right. I forgot about you used to duck under the rope on right-handed mm-hmm. ties, but you did that a lot. Well, that's what Ike was getting made at Severe Brothers. He was short, though. <laughs> I said, I said, if that's good enough for Ike, make them for me. <laughs> you were the only one going then doing it th- at that time. Yeah. Does anybody do it now, Cody? Have you seen anybody do it? Yeah, I see Dan Fisher still does it. Okay. There's a handful of them. A handful of them. I think maybe his boys do it every now and then, too. I forgot about Alan doing that, but I remember him doing that. I think that record was held for like 100 years before you broke it, correct? Probably well, I don't know. And then Probably I think well. it held for quite a while after All that. records are made to be broken. Yeah, I, How I long were was. you on that steer, Alan? 14-2, but they were, them steers as wide as his table. Today, you know, them little rats that don't run out of the box, tying them in all these unheard of numbers, you know. Back then, you know, 17 or 18 was a good run, first run at Cheyenne. 16. Uh, my dad held the arena record there for just a couple of years. 12 1, I think in 1995. Yeah, but see, back in California, when I first went to team roping, they never let out a coil. They rode right up on the left hip and set those horses and never let out a coil. Right. And I couldn't do that. I would. I went in Oakdale, 6'5 or 6'8, beat him by a second or two seconds. I didn't have a horse. I asked John Miller to get off of Ben Johnson's gray horse. And uh, I ducked and win the money. And those guys never ducked for a long time. Well, now they do. Yeah, they, they do. throw all their coils plus I'm a little bit sure, more. I'm not even sure their horse sees that steer sometimes. You know? them, them horses never see the steer. Right. I don't understand. I don't understand the the bulldoggers. They got a snaffle bit, and if he don't back up, they snatch him backwards. Snaffle bits made for G and Hall, left or right. Or like workhorses years ago, workhorse got to get in the bit before he get in the collar. Mm-hmm. He's got to. That's how come they cracked them left or right. 
And Greg Ward would get his horses so light that he'd want somebody to get a hold of the rope and a Brandon to help lift. I said, well, Greg, you got them too light in the mouth. They got to get in the bit before they get in the collar to pull. So I got some bits from Mr. Israel sent to the famous Greg Ward in California just for his brandings. But he'd get them horses so pliable on the front end, transferring the weight off the front to the back. Now you watch all these team ropers, everything's everything's on the front end. They don't a horse them horses don't know when they go. To drag a steer, they don't know how to get their rear end on them to spin around. They spin around on their front if you watch them. Somebody I want to ask you about before I forget it. I saw a picture of you one time with a guy by the name of Yakima Canut. Yeah, I was at um, Pedaling, and we had the buckskin horse gunman, uh, John W. Jones and Sr. and Jack Roddy were going to buy the horse, and he hadn't done much, but I had a great hazing horse I got from Don Huddleston. I made a deal in college to buy the horse. He was, I'd put him with Colt, I put him with John W.'s gray horse. He was with that yellow mare that Don Huddleston had Leonard Says. Went a lot on him hazing at Cheyenne. That's when you stayed beside the steer instead in front of the steer. And uh, uh, Yakima Canuck wanted to meet me. And I had to think a while because I knew he was in Hollywood a lot. And I, I guess he was up there after or before they put Ben Johnson in the museum at Pendleton. But anyway, he was there, and he's on the buckskin horse, and I'm on the saw horse, I think, and had a good visit with him. He's like all them old-time rugged guys. Had big hands on him, rough. He was a great stunt guy. for. That's why John Wayne, when he'd get a little upset, he'd go talking slow. So that's where John Wayne picked that up. And then he was with old man Randall breaking all them Ben-Hur horses over Italy yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I heard a funny story about him. He was a stunt coordinator down there at Ben-Hur for that movie, Ben-Hur. Yeah. And it was those chariot races, Charlton Heston. And he Charlton Heston liked to do a lot of his own stunts. And he had him all figured out to, to do the chariot race and – and Charlton was nervous because it looked dangerous, you know, and, and he was really scared. And Yakima told him, said, heck, Chuck, I don't know what you're scared about. I've got it fixed where you're going to win. <laughs> There's a, I saw a film one time, I think it was Will Rogers' Trick Roping. Right. Roping fool. Roping them horses' feet and all that. And then there was an edit of Yakima mugging a gray mare yeah. out in the sagebrush. And he's got a got his legs wrapped around this gray, but he got her head down there on the side where she couldn't bite him. And he's got like a figure four around her neck, and she's a rolling him around. Now that that's a little Western picture. Oh, 
Yeah. And they ain't none of these top notchers today that even dare do that. Oh, no, no. He revolutionized the stunt business. Things he invented, and he invented a stirrup on the offside where you could ride up beside just, just you see those guys jumping on a stage. Coach. Well, he's a guy. Some stuff that, he just did, like jump on a stage. Yeah, from yeah one he's horse a to guy another. that went up in front of the six up, crawled back under Better. between the all six horses under the stagecoach, and back in it. Oh, yeah. that's something else. Well, do you ever meet the Duke himself? I met him at Globe with Jimmy Kahn. Jimmy Kahn was in a. I forget the name of the movie. He had a knife in his back that he was supposed to be some kind of Louisiana dagger man or something. And he was a globe when we were down there and just, hi, how are you? He was in Montrose, Colorado, where I live. My mother was teaching school at Ridgeway where they done True Grit. And uh, Chuck Robeson wanted me the stunt guy after Yakima mm-hmm. was real good hand, right. really a good hand. Bad Chuck, they called him. He wanted me to come and work on the film, but I think I had to go to this Angelo or the steer roping finals late in the year. Couldn't do it. But just, hi, how are you, and mm-hmm. that's it. Right. I think I was in two films with Patrick Wayne, but I never... Right. Just mind my own business, stayed out of trouble. Right. I bet you did. <laughs> you know, Jimbo, we were back there giving Alan a tour through the museum a while ago, and he took a look at me, and he, I think I jogged a memory loose in him. Uh, him and Casey Tibbs ran across a couple of hippies up in Denver one time. <laughs> Can you tell us about that, you and Casey Tibbs well, hanging out they, with the hippies in Denver? There's some beatniks. I don't know. It's right there about the time they changed from beatniks to hippies, 60s or somewhere, but Casey decided they needed it shared. So my job was kind of subdue them a little so they wouldn't screech too much. You Hold know, them down. And wake up the people in town. <laughs> we were at the old Mayflower Hotel. Casey comes out with a set of old hand clippers and I don't think they were very sharp because I'd get a screech <laughs> and a jump out of these guys once in a while. But we only got two of them. They, they didn't look much worse after we got through with them as they did when we started out. Yes, sir. But Casey always, there was always something going to happen around Casey Tibbs now. That's just the way Casey was. Right. I was thinking he was going to hold me down and make you give me a haircut after a while, Jimbo. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had a beard or two like that on Deadwood. <laughs> yeah. But I couldn't wear a wig. I didn't wear a wig, see? I'm about there. I'm I wasn't like with you. I wasn't like the guy that run Las Vegas rodeo that has a toupee that comes down over his eyes with a set of bangs on it. I thought the damnedest thing I ever seen in my life. Man walking around with a toupee and bangs. That looks worse than bald head, I think. <laughs> Look like that sheepdog on that old cartoon with the bangs covering his eyes. Yep. But what got me when I always, I lay on my right side a little bit and the hair would grow a different way on one side than the other. 
I don't grow hair worth the darn. This is pathetic. This is eight years worth of growth, and I hadn't even trimmed this beard. This is as thick as it gets, Jimbo. <laughs> and Alan. Hey, Alan, uh, there's a, a story that's part of rodeo folklore out there. I believe it happened in Cheyenne Frontier Days. It's It's been some time ago, but uh, after we did the first podcast with you, we had a lot of people reach out to us, and they would like a recount of the story if you'll if you'll do it. Um, I think that maybe you and Roy Duvall might have got into a little tussle out there. Yeah, it sure was. <laughs> it's uh, a real famous story, but I don't think anyone's really ever heard it from right from the horse's mouth. Well, we were in the lounge earlier, and you know all those guys usually go over to shoot number 11 or 10 or whatever it is. It's committee guys have a cocktail. And anyway, we were, had a cocktail or two and went and cleaned up and come back. And Roy was out there dancing with uh, a lady by the name of Gina Day Phelps. And I was sitting with Bud Clemens and his wife, Margaret, and this guy, Casper Schaefer, come over and sat down. Now, Casper never cleaned up very much, and he smelled a little bad. And I asked him in so many words to leave. Well, Roy said he didn't like my language, there's a lady in the house or whatever. I said, well, isn't that something? Because <laughs> uh, Roy and Jim Smith was there when I whipped Jim Bynum and Angelo. So isn't that something? So the truth of the story, Roy Sunday punched me and knocked me the length of the room through these tables. And when I come back, I was ready. And there was everybody here and everybody there and all this and that. And then I only got to hit him just a few times. I'd like to have worked on him because I told him when I was a kid and still in college at Cheyenne at the old cowboy bar, pretty western, don't ever get on me. I'll get on you like stink on manure. And I don't know. Hey, you know how them guys, they got to size you up. And and I'm used to them guys sizing you up. And But over there where I was raised, Jack Dempsey started fighting. and Tough dance halls, my dad and bounced, and everybody boxed and wrestled before. I got in high school and a kid got killed or something, they quit boxing. But everywhere you went, you better box or you'd come home with a problem. And if you, I come home with a black eye one time after a football game, the old man asked me what happened. I said, didn't you see me play football as a freshman? He knocked me out of that chair plumb in the other room. He said, now what happened? I told him how I got the black eye. And I never liked to go around with a black eye, so I got pretty good at what I had to do sometimes. 
And so I don't know. They went to break it up or something. I got another Sunday on the other cheek. Well, then I got serious. <laughs> and he run at me, and I grabbed me, and I fell over backwards. And I was behind him like that when my back hit the wall. And I don't, I never got very many punches in. Casper Schaefer come over and spurred me in the back. Blanford, that, that Rex Bland, that Bland kid's brother spurred me in the back. And the cop wasn't very friendly. He ran in there and run a bunch of mace up my mouth and got it in my lungs. It wasn't very good. So we had to split. But anyway, Roy didn't show up around a day or so, and they were all watching this. And Hollywood Bob Maynard, he would come out of the projects in Chicago, modeled road bulls, took care of Shindell's horses, was always around Blaine Swanaville and Santa Anita, I mean, Los Alamitas. And he's walking around there whittling on a stick, Elkie sticks, $5, Elkie sticks, $5. Shut up, Bob. Go on. Get out of here. So Roy shows up, and I wasn't finished with it. And I come up on the right side of him. He couldn't see, and I dallied his horse up. And he turned his head, and I raised my arm, and he ducked, and blood clots fell out on his leg over here. And he had this gal with him, blonde-headed gal with a beehive. And I told her there was some complaints about her uh, being there to tell the woman to go get in the grandstand. He said, ma'am, go get in the grandstand. And I remember a lot of people there couldn't believe I was talking like I was talking. But she went and got in the grandstand. And then later on, uh, I guess he talked to Benny and some people. and We got to say hi to each other. And it's kind of the way it was. Hi, how are you? Good to see you. But it's just one of them day, one of them deals. And Roy, he he was known to put a Sunday punch on a guy. And as a Sunday considered sort of like an Arkansas. Well, it didn't work. And uh, Clark McIntyre told him. He said, "When the first one didn't work, why didn't you run?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we even uh, we even had old Justin McKee from the Cowboy Channel. He called. Wondering why we didn't ask you about the old Roy Duval story. So, well, we appreciate you telling us that. Well, there was about the same thing with Bynum. Uh, I was in college. I hauled him and that gray horse around, and uh, he woke up in the back seat and was past Wichita, Kansas. Said already had a big tornado there. He said, what are you doing, trying to run this thing in the ground, burn this thing in the ground, son, I guess. I don't know. But I come out of college, and I was winning more bulldogging than anybody. Denver, Fort Worth, Houston, and Jack Roddy had pushed a steer over me at Long Beach and tore up my left leg. And Bynum was kind of arena place or something, I guess, at Houston, Astrodome, and 
Eddie Costell was flanking the horses and stuff for Harry Knight and stuff. And the shoot hooks was as big as your finger. And Eddie Costell told Bonham, please get away from his horse. And Bonham hit him over the head with one of them shoot hooks. I didn't know it until later. But he'd come around behind me and knee me in that bad knee. And I said, Jim, don't mess with me no more. I mean it. So the slack was right after the rodeo. And there was only two guys allowed in the box then. So I get in the box. And Jim Houston was a director and somebody else gets in the box. So here comes Bynum in there, he's gonna throw me out. I said, don't put your hands on me. He reached and I hit him. And Harry Tompkins was flagging, but he was kind of over out of the buckages. Bynum was awful active. He could throw a 300-pound steer or a 700-pound steer. Five times world champion, I guess. But anyway, he went pumped back across the score line. I think it was 20-some feet there at Houston. And somebody said, watch him. He don't have a knife. And he come back up there and was going to get a hold or a swing or something. I don't know, but... He got caught with another one, and back out there he went again. So there wasn't much said. He didn't come back in there. We got the slack over, and I looked up, and Harry Knight was up there in the crow's nest. The announcer, and the next day I get to the Astrodome. I'm called in the office. I get fined $50 for fighting in the arena. Harry Tompkins come up, and he said, Alan, I got to do that it's a rule I said well uppy I reached my pocket and I said I got enough for about a hundred more of them (laughs) (laughs) so I was with Jim Smith Duval and them and we went in the office at uh, Angelo and come back out and this is how I met all the cutting horse people there was only about 20 of them then you know Bynum has the newspaper, says Keller win more money than anybody ever earned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, and you cost me 50. He said, I had to, you cost me 50 too. I said, well, I'll take a little more. And I jumped at him and swung. I missed him. Two feet. He was pretty quick. But he wasn't quick enough to get away from him in the next two or three. And then he reached out and grabbed me, and that was a mistake because I went to driving his head under them stalls. But them cutting horse guys run out there like you throwed a bunch of rocks and a bunch of chickens. They went out both doors just to run it. Well, Bonham sold Falstaff beer, had it on his trailer. After the rodeo, it'd have Falstaff beer. And... Uh, we went to the room, and we were watching TV, and here's Bynum advertising the rodeo, and he's got these knots on his head and that eye about half closed. And the guy asked him how he got that. Oh, that's part of rodeo. So anyway, I come to the rodeo, and he's got a downfield jacket on, and Don Brennan told me he was carrying something. I don't know. I went over and told him. I said, well... 
you better take it off because this is the best shot you're going to get. And I turned my back to him and I said, by the way, Jim, you won't survive the next one. And he was pretty polite to me ever since. But them deals happen with them guys, you know. Well, it's inevitable when you got some guys that thinks that they're the toughest, you know, and they're bulldoggers and they're feeling mean and they see another guy. It's pretty tough. Testosterone. Well, let me they got to test it out. They got to yeah. test the waters. Yeah. Let me tell you, I never was one for lifting weights. We had to stack hay and work and milk cows. I never liked, I run a lot. But I'd see one of them guys I had to wrestle. Now, boy, he looked like, what are you going to do with this guy? And when I'd finally get a hold of his wrist, I could lead him anywhere I wanted to. But you get an old, tall, skinny, long-armed guy who's like a crowbar. And this is what these bulldoggers don't understand anymore. You used to go to the tip of the right horn. It's called leverage. They've never run a shovel. You don't run a shovel down by the head of the blade. You run it out on the end, leverage. And they got their wrist slapping at their nose. The nose used to have to go here. And you had leverage backwards. You couldn't lay on your rear end and slap at their nose. That's something else. I don't, that must come from the carnival. I don't know where it come from. <laughs> you know, I used to, uh, Clean a guy's stall that was a good bulldogger at one, in his day. I used to clean his stalls down in McAllister. Did you know Jim Painter very well? Oh, yeah. <laughs> First time I seen Painter, he was riding baby doll. It's when I met Casey. Uh, I was 11 years old at Monta Vista. Painter was at Monta Vista and Drango Butler Brothers. But Painter had always so that left leg over the rear end of a horse. Instead of letting the heel come out of the saddle like they do. I see what you're saying. He'd throw that left leg over. Oh, but yeah, he... Uh, Painter was a funny kind of guy. Uh, but he was always around Jim Smith. and It's funny, you know... You had, like the steer ropers, you had the Okies, you had the New Mexico, you had the Wyoming, and a few in between. I didn't know where I fit. Same way as the Bulldog. You had the Oklahoma Bunch, Huddleston, and Jim Smith. You had the California Bunch, John W., Roddy, Montana Bunch. Uh... And I never, I just fit wherever I was at. Uh, but they all seem to have an ego or something or something they want to prove. And the I never agreed with a lot of directors changing the score, the size of the cattle. Uh, I think the bigger the cattle, the better. I don't ever agree with this guy that used to say everybody wants to see fast. And you know who I mean. I said, I remember when 16 was fast in the calf roping. 
I remember this team roping when you'd be 10, 11, or 12. But now, I don't think it's good for TV when three-quarters of the team ropers don't even catch a head or the bulldoggers fall on their ass because the steers plumb over here and pass first base. You see what I'm saying? Back in them days, they knew how to hate. But I don't think these guys know how to read cattle, to tell you the truth. Uh, like these hazers, it looks to me like if they go by one and it jumps behind him, he's smart enough the next time to be on the side of him. Because that's the way I learned. I didn't have no cattle to practice on. Steer roping. I had a few roping calves once in a while. Uh, I had to watch and listen. So I kind of sorted out a couple of guys that I thought might fit me. And that's the way it was. But I don't get this paying these kind of interfees and hitting the ground because the hazer's out there with the bulldogging horse. And these guys that can't hold them in the box, you never seen these horses squatting in the box when I was a kid or a young man. They stood up. You don't see a racehorse. They got to stand up to get out of that box. You don't see them when they're squatting. They're, they'll hold it, hold it. They're trying to straighten them up. But they're backing in there and letting them horses squat. And then the breakaway ropers, sometimes they'll miss and they'll run the cattle on out of the arena. Well, if you're trying to get your horse to stop to get the slack out of the rope, why would you spin to the right or go forward? There's some things I don't understand. And uh, like the horse show world, I'd stay with Madelon and Carol Rose. You never was going to get me in the horse show world. Because they got to know who owns the horse before they can judge it. Yeah. It's all about the dollar. Now, my daughter here went a little deal up in Kansas. The quarter horse deal wants $400 for the trophy. <laughs> the AQHA was supposed to be a nonprofit. Now, here they're selling these trophies to all these kids and everybody. Then they got a credit card deal. They got a pile of horse papers here on a desk. If you're in a hurry, you can get them for 50 or 100, but if you take your time, it's 25. Woo. That's some good stuff, Jim. Well, I mean, I mean, you talk about a rodeo legend. You know, you, that word gets thrown around a lot, legend, but Alan Keller is a, is a rodeo legend for sure. How close did you ever get to winning the all around? Uh, or did you ever do multiple events at the same time? Yeah, I bucked off a bull riding the globe. I broke a barrier in the team time. Uh, I win more money in high school roping cows. I did bulldogging. I tore the left leg up because couldn't get over. So you had to keep them cattle to time. You kept them low on the ground. Today, these calves got no hair on their legs because they time every performance. And they flank them on their back and do all this fancy spinning thing. I think they even tie the calves at Cheyenne before they run them now. Yeah, and throw these steers down. It's more like a trained circus deal. 
<laughs> carnival. Uh, and they haul them all year long. That guy at the finals last year went 50000 on the same one he went at Houston. It's crazy. And the stock contractor started this. Now, I tore up a knee and come back and won the Bulldog at Denver. They wouldn't let me. Stock contractors raising hell. The one they just had a big party for in Las Vegas. Now, he can't go around rodeos. He's a well poisoner. He can't go around rodeos. But the PRCA spent a lot of money for a party for him. I don't know why. Uh, but he didn't want to buy all these masking cattle from Jess Burner and stuff. They were too high priced for them. So they're going to eliminate cowboys. The judge said, I throwed an injunction. The judge said I could work the rodeo. They come back late at night. I couldn't work the rodeo because the other guys that wanted to work the rodeo couldn't get there for the slack in the morning. I said, cancel the slack. There's no reason we have to run this slack tomorrow. The judge says, well, here's what I'm going to do. I want you to continue this suit in my court. Right to work law. I'm a member of association. I didn't want to sue cowboys. I didn't. If I had it to do over, I liked cowboys back then. We'd get together after rodeo, Gene, Rex Allen, Gene Autry, Festus, Harry Knight, and now you get together. These guys today, I ask them, who wins Cheyenne? Who wins this? They don't know nothing. I said, you know this guy? No, never seen him. They, they're in these aluminum trailers. They don't meet the committees. The committees at Reno used to have big dinners, parties, Salinas. You went to the tent, all the ranchers, cowboys, you met them for miles around. Pendlet, these guys today, they're like talking to this water bottle. They want another wrapper around them. But uh, I, there's some things I just I don't understand, and I, I don't think it's going to work. Televising stuff when the camera's still on the guy close up or here or there. And I see this new commissioner uh, talking to RFD TV guy the other day. Now they need to cut him off of his expense account because his belly was bigger than them rodeo clowns. <laughs> you ask about the all arounds? Oh, the all-around. Yeah. I'm just asking how close he ever got well, to winning the all-around. I, I, I had 13 knee operations before these two knees. And they sprayed me in Colorado. They put a test plot, sweet corn, and the lady that put a lot of the gardens in at the Cowboy Hall of Fame sent a team of scientists. The sweet corn was 8 to 23 over EPA standards with six sprays. They boxed it up and fed it to people. The live water across about a half a mile from my house got 18 pesticides, 13 herbicides, insecticides. These farmers come in there, it's poison the valley, the cattle, the sheep, and the people handling the water. And then they sprayed me with Agent Orange two years ago. Couldn't walk for two months. Little baby steps. Balance is still off. 
So it's not only in the rodeo business, it's happening in the rest of the world. And I was an all-American wrestler at Colorado State University. I knew Dr. Voss. Dr. Adams wrote Lameness and Horses. Dr. Ingram, Dr. Olson. A lot of them vets used to come watch me wrestle. And I'd see them all over the United States when I rodeoed. I take three horses to CSU. The gal wanted to know if I wanted to take the mare out of the stall while she euthanized the colt. I said no. And then I had her lead the mare plumb across that Voss building, huge at CSU, and put her in the trailer, and that mare never nickered for that colt. That's how smart, that's what she learned about eight years of college. You can't take a mare away from a baby colt without them raising hell, unless something's a matter. So anyway, uh, by the time I got to rodeo in full time, I must have had four or five, four knee operations anyway. So the calf roping went out the window. So when I got to California, I said, well, hell, I can do this team roping. There ain't nothing to this team roping. Every Tom and Dick and Harry team ropes now, so why can't I? <laughs> so then I said, Cheyenne, I said, I can do this. Hell, all I got to do is find me a horse. So they all around kind of went out of the window, but like at Pendleton, I, I done the cow milking. I didn't run up there and get them by the rope, going to hold them like these ranch cow milkings and stuff. I get them by the nose where the old nose clamps go or in the mouth or get a hold of them. And I had guys and I seen a guy in Canada mugging big old wild horses. I used to take him to Big Four every year. We made a lot of money milking cows on the little saw hazenhorn. So, like at Cheyenne, I got to win some bulldog and I got to win some. If it had team roping, I might... This girl might be wearing two or three more of them Cheyenne belt buckles. <laughs> well, that diamond shining in that Cheyenne belt buckle she's wearing. Holy looks pretty moly. good, they doesn't it? They yeah, should look, put some real yeah. good diamonds in those buckles. Well, I never would like. let that one get... I don't let my buckles get polished. They look too uh, Hollywood to me. So I don't ever polish. Just what my belly pushes them down. They don't get polished. But... She's got three more of them. She can make a belt and wear four of them. <laughs> or are they all, all around, or is there any single? Two advantage? all arounds from Cheyenne back to back. They give that little right kid, that announcer out of the racetrack, give that right kid, said there's been two riding event guys, Jim Shoulders, and you, the only two that went two all around championships at Cheyenne and some timed event guy. <laughs> so I'd like to meet the announcer and introduce myself someday. <laughs> he might get the wrong end of that cane he's carrying uh, around. Yeah. He'd know who he was when he got done. Yeah. He'll know who that timed event guy was. Holy moly. This is a true legend, Jimbo. For sure. Cheyenne winner. Pendleton winner, world champion winner. Movie star. Movie star, hung out with Casey Tibbs, hung out with the movie stars. Spent the night in the 
Hefner's mansion, the Playboy. Well, several nights. That's the first. I might have strutted a little bit, but I never let it go to my head real bad. Uh, I used to love to come to Oklahoma City. I'd see Dale Robinson. I see Ben Johnson, and uh, I see a lot of guys I knew, and I liked it. I get to go to the Cowboy Hall of Fame. A guy I knew put most of that stuff in the Cowboy Hall of Fame. His name was Dean Crinkle. And he started out up in Wyoming. He come out from Eaton, Colorado, Wyoming. He knew more about Tom Horn than anybody that walked. He wrote a book, Adventures in Western Art, where he had to hustle the money, Mr. Gaylord, Jasper Ackerman, Colorado Springs, and to buy this, to buy this, and the end of the trail, they said, oh, that ain't going to work as all the plaster's breaking down. He found it in Visalia, California. With Lucy Love so-and-so and Frazier done it that done the Buffalo Nickel. And he's going to get the cast, a copy of it, from Italy and bring that thing to the Cowboy Hall of Fame. Oh, no, you can't do that. Oh, it's breaking up on the truck. Then they had to promote 300 some thousand dollar building to put it in. It's the biggest attraction in Oklahoma, end of the trail. But Crinkle gambled and done that, and I don't know. They got rid of him. I don't know if it was new money, old money. But I know that little Ann, uh, the Burnette Burnett estate, and then Jack and Phoebe's got the gardens out there. But I used to like to come watch that deal, and and they always had a party at the finals for the Cowboys. It was good, but... You don't see none of them appreciated anymore. And here a while back, we went down there to the Hall of Fame. They've changed it around a little bit. Uh, I don't get to Oklahoma. I used to love the Osage because of the people, like I said. Uh, and the Hall of Fame, I'm glad it's here in Oklahoma City, and I'm glad it's doing well. But it took a lot of money and a lot of effort to put that thing together. Are you in it yet? Have they put you in it yet, Alan? Down there? Yes, sir. That's a big question. I'm not in it. Are you in the one in Colorado Springs yet? Uh, I've never been, no. What's going don't... on out there? Hey, everybody, if you got a vote in this deal, this is a living legend right here. There's not been another guy make more steps in the world of rodeo than this guy. The first arena director for the NFR in Vegas. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot right here. Everybody take notice. That's just my opinion, though. Well, they... I was... Uh, and he's still with us. I was in California on this Deadwood deal. I need to get out of town. I couldn't breathe because of them pesticides and stuff, them farmers. Had a big breathing problem. I went to Deadwood. I was out there back and forth a year and a half. And I got a call from the lady that the Cowboy Hall of Fame. And they wanted me to go to Colorado Springs to the executive board meeting. So I drove through quite a snowstorm. And I get there and I have dinner with Cotton Rosser that night. And we visit a little bit. 
And Conrosser told this brand inspector up there at Redding, California, he said, Alan Keller rode some horses that most people couldn't saddle up. And one I team tied on was Wooden Nichols. He'd been in the bronc riding twice at Oklahoma City, and I flipped for him double or nothing at the Cow Palace. I team tied on him Oklahoma City. Tuffy Thompson won the King Merritt Trippins and stuff on him. He's Wooden Nichols. I think he was a, a Driftwood, maybe Hancock. But anyway... She wanted me to go to this executive board meeting, so I got a room. The next morning, all these cowboys was in the hotel. And I go over to the executive board meeting, and there's a big conversation that I couldn't go to the executive board meeting. And they had this new commissioner. And all these cowboys out there in California and stuff said, oh, he's going to be great. He's a trick rider from California. I think his name was Edelman. Well, they weren't going to let me. And he called me in his office and asked me if I was a religious man. And I pointed to Pikes Peak. I was sheep hunting at Pikes Peak, a state in a little canyon. And that lightning arced across that canyon all night both ways. My hair went one way and the other way. I said, I've been closer to the Lord than a lot of you guys will never get. And I'm going to this board meeting regardless because I hadn't seen nobody out of the 20 or 30 that's going to throw me out. <laughs> so I go sit by the stock contractor that's squealing. He's from Oklahoma. Pretty quick, they had a break. I go to the bathroom, and here's the other stock contractor that was poisoning wells. Now, he was going through the books. I said, I said, how come after the national finals, you got this guy going through the books? I knew what was going on. And there was a gal that worked there for all these years, told me the Cowboys... After the finals, the cowgirls call up. I didn't have enough time on TV. I said, well, that's TV, you know. And so she said, there's a lot of money missing. The cowboys never look for the money, ask for the money. That commissioner went to the pen the guy looking through the books went to the pen, and the cowboys don't know where the money went. I don't understand it. That's well, us, why I don't think it survived very long. Our, us cowboys are dumb sometimes. Listen to this. I entered a roping one time, and I did the math on the roping before I left. And if I was to win all three go-rounds in the average, I was still going to lose money. <laughs> and I still loaded my horse up and drove for that roping. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what do they charge this stock fee and stuff nowadays? Uh, steer open, I think it's $45 a run. But, you know, in the early 80s, it was $25 a run, so it hadn't went up that much in the last 40 years. Well, if it's in the 70s, it was nothing. Yep, they, uh, steer open's the only event that has to pay a stock charge. So, Well, they better get some better steers or it's going to go fast. <laughs> 
You yes, know, sir. with this, with this PETA and uh, all these guys hollering and this woke crowd, uh, they better change their ways or they won't have a couple events. Because this, you go to the Seattle crowd, Portland, Oregon crowd. It might be in Oklahoma in a few years. Yeah, I think they've uh, banned rodeo completely in Los Angeles area. So, yeah, it's a tough deal, and and the Cowboys aren't helping it any. They should be. You know, I got a thirty thirty stuck right between my eyes at Pampa, Texas, because I told the director. We needed to do a deal where Post Texas was for West Texas Boys Ranch and Angelo. Wendy Ryan was for Heart Fun. Terry McGinley in Nebraska was for Easter Seal. We got Ben Johnson. We got Walt Garrison. Do a little documentary so we, we might, something might happen to an animal once in a while. But here's what we're doing for the needy. I got a 30-30 stuck right there. Was that at Silverton? At Walt, Walt Arnold. That's who it was. I mean, he didn't have balls enough to pull the trigger. and He wasn't going to get another shot. Another Happened. folklore rodeo story I've heard about quite a yeah. few times. Was that at the rodeo at Silverton? No, it was at uh, Pampa, Texas. It was at Pampa, okay. And his daughter went to church with the sheriff. And I told the sheriff, I didn't care about that. I wanted to make a report. The reason you make a report, because the next time you got a right to do something. So there's a story that I won't get into now, but there was a girl running the savings and loan at Canyon, Texas. And her real father showed up and two dozen roses and took her to Phoenix and showed her her birth mother in the pictures. And nobody knew this. And if anybody knows anything about Arizona, the New York people went to Tucson the Chicago people went to Phoenix. She couldn't believe what she was seeing. And one of them cowboys come by and tried to mess with her. And that, right after I left Pampa, the rope at Angelo. And I loaded her up and I took her to Angelo so everybody could see me. And that's all I'm going to say about this story right now. When's the book coming out? That's what I want to know. Yeah, when, when are y'all writing this book? Because you've known too many of the greats. You've done too many stuff with all the greats and famous people we've heard of and infamous people we've heard of. Y'all, have y'all started writing this book yet, Alan? Well, the guy that wrote Show Webster's book wanted to do one. He died of a heart attack. Uh, he taught school down here somewhere. And then I was with Sam Peckinpah, the director, when he moved to Montana after Cal, uh, Convoy. He bought a piece of a ranch, him and Warren Oates. And we worked on some movie scripts like High Hello Country 
uh, we didn't get to do. Uh, and like this Jean, this E. Jean Carroll that's suing Trump right now, she showed up. Peckinpah asked her, well, how come she wanted to write about Peckinpah? And she said she, for the money, he throwed her out of the hotel. She come to me, and I got an interview finally with Sam. Uh, I'd write, uh, this guy wanted to write a book. Uh, I have a lot of family history that's out of Kansas. And stuff, I, the sheriff there was... My mother's cousin kind of connected with cold blood, and my grandpa found like $60,000 worth of gold coins in a lake bed, and grandma wanted to put it in a well house. She had went to school with the youngers, and he wanted to turn it in for a reward, and he got nothing. And she never learned to drive. She got continental air trails way to bring her over home all the time and he drove them nashes and she didn't get upset every once in a while she'd bring up the well house but not very often and there's uh i've got to do a lot of stuff got to see a lot of stuff got to see a lot of stuff when i was a young man because uh the uranium that come from Nuclear Natarita, the west end of Colorado, to win the war. And when they had that big boom there, they had the cowboys, they had the hard rock miners. You go to a dance, you get an education. But the thing I... When I was young, everybody wanted to put boxing gloves on. They wouldn't want to put them on the older. I was a young one. I never could figure out how come the older guys wanted to put boxing gloves on me. And they found out that was a mistake, and they wanted to switch them real quick. Do you ever spar Sonny Liston? Somebody told me you might have. No. I seen Sonny Liston when I was in college. He just got out of the Canyon City the Penitentiary. His hands look like baseball mitts. And then he got out there to send to uh, Vegas. Well, I met the sheriff that run him out of St. Louis. Uh, he run two of my friends out of St. Louis uh, for robbing the bookmakers because they couldn't holler copper. Uh, I said, you guys need to leave a while. And they ended up in Vegas with cardboard and into their shoes and, uh, for the souls. And one of them was a pool boy at the dunes. And he went back east, collected some big money when he was at the Sands. And he wouldn't tell the federal judge nothing about it. And they give him a piece of Caesars. His other friend had the slot machines at the Sands when he left and the other guy come with him, Kenny, he wouldn't pull up, and they fed him to the sharks in Florida. So when I went out there, and here's Liston at the rodeo, uh, the famous rodeo that was downtown, the Helorado. Everybody had dressed up like a cowboy, all these people. And it was a big event. 
foreman enlisting was down there, and I rode down there and was looking at them, you know, and one of them had a purple outfit, polyester outfit, one had a green one, and one had a yellow one, and sheriff come down there, and he said, Alan, come back up here at this other end of the arena. <laughs> so I'm watching this, and this friend of mine in Vegas that owned all this Caesars had a big slot machine company, and uh, he'd had 27 fights back east, but he'd have Joe Lewis out at the ranch all the time. He'd have Billy Kahn to the ranch. He had Foreman. He had Liston. We'd be a rope and run the cattle in the arena, and they'd run and jump over the fence that scared of them bulldog cattle. <laughs> so I got to meet a lot of them guys. But no, when he throwed that fight, uh, somebody OD'd him down on Colville Lane. I never did. Be around him just them two times. Yes, it's the only time. But them other prize fighters, I got to see them. Joe DiMaggio come out there and hang out with a guy named Sugar Brown, and he'd pull that letter of his wallet, Marilyn Monroe. It was like in four or five, six pieces. He was still grieving over her. And Tony Curry, all them people, they used to come earn. But Dean had arena. It's a funny deal now. This true story. Two of these top cowboys wanted a place to put their horses extra cast when they come to the finals I got this guy's arena well I brought some horses in about 3 o'clock at night they were on their way to California this kid was going to ride them out there and I had him with me well next morning about 8 o'clock my friend Dean called me he said you got to get these horses out of the arena there wasn't no place but the arena Said Roy Cooper and them want a rope. I said, well, there's some holders there. Can't Roy Cooper hold her to them horses? Is he that sorry? So I had to get them and take them 60 miles out to prompt, then go back and try to get me a nap. But when that guy died, and they used his place for years, I never seen none of them cowboys at the funeral. There's no loyalty no more. There's no respect. You know, and that, that, that kind of bothers me the way I met a guy down here at the Iron Man, one of them big shots, all that stuff on him. Well, you could just tell by his attitude, he looked at me like I was an old crippled up man. Who knows what this guy would have done at the time to and, Jim uh, mm-hmm. Holy moly, he'd have been a time event. They don't have no respect or class. Uh, that guy looked at me, and I thought, mm-hmm. So... That's you didn't get caned. Exactly. But like, you know, when you when you get arena for a guy in Cavs, and then there was a steer there was a team roping director come down there and got in the middle of the gates. And it's solid cement where they're bringing the alleyway in there. We didn't know how this is gonna work. And they had a big meeting. And I get Benny Binion's attention. Because they wanted to drug test Scamper, Charmaine James's horse. I said, Benny, and he had trouble with two of his kids. I said, Benny, if you drug test that horse, 
You're going to have to drug test some calf ropers and rodeo announcers and barrel racers. Probably every horse, timed event horse at the NFR had a little bit of something to help them out. Well, they got focus. 10 veterinarians. Now they haul their veterinarians the final. But, so I didn't do it. And I think it's the only sport they don't let them do it. But then there was a guy... The, the stock contractors that give their pass away to a committee guy stand back of the buck and shoots. Well, there wasn't this much room back of the buck and shoots then. It looks to me like they moved it out. So I made a rule if they didn't have a horse or a bull up, they couldn't be there. Well, they bowed up for a while. And... uh they wasn't letting no photographer supposed to be there. And when Shailene tried to find me, she ran across the photographer. She wasn't going to leave. I reached down there above her belt, and I got a hold of the roll, and I went to walking. I told this big black guy, don't let her back in. The sheriff looked down there. I'm wearing a badge. And he nodded at me. So I took it off and I slid it around between some guys. He gets his glasses. It says brothel inspector, Kansas City is about a hundred years old. <laughs> and he wanted to keep it. And I knew a good silversmith in Albuquerque. I mean, Santa Fe. I had him one made brothel inspector, Clark County, Nevada, see. But when he had moved this deal, out of Oklahoma City, Ben did. And one of the reasons was Clem wasn't going to let him put his stagecoach in here. Said, well, we got these churches and this. And Casey always wanted Ben, Casey Tibbs wanted to bring it to Vegas. You got all these cowboy Christmases. All the hotels are plumb full. And nobody knows that Benny Binion and the guy at Caesars made it possible. All they care about is money. And they all got their vets there. They haven't tested these horses. If they did, wouldn't be none running. Wouldn't even be a team roping horse in the deal. Oh, I was at Redding, California. Here's a team roper. There's a big shot. 15 times the finals, all this. I seen him go to the juggler on the right side instead of the left side of the horse's neck. And he give this horse a shot, and he throwed this syringe and stuff. He walked that horse around. That blood's running down the horse's neck, under the breast collar, plumb to his foot. And he went and rope, went out the other end of the arena and didn't even know it. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. But see... Back in the day, you never had problems with these ulcers and these horses. Nobody injected a hawk. I think a lot of these ulcers, horses are born with them. I think a lot of them's coming from Roundup Ready hay, Roundup Ready corn. It makes sense, you know. I called National Poison Control. They told me glyphosate, liable to last moderate the next year. Well, they spread in all these fields. That's what I'm talking about in Colorado. They, they, my little farm used to be seven little fields or six. 
Now it's one big one. And they put these guys from Mexico in the tractor. And the dust is in this valley and you got an inversion, it stays. But how much glyphosate, how much this, how much that? The six different sprays on the sweet corn. The cattle and the sheep were down on sweet corn stalks. And they got smart enough not to put them on there. But what's in the sweet corn stalks that's not in the air of corn? And they keep bragging about it. Them farmers come in there, how good they are. They sprayed the immigrant workers half a mile from my house. I found the results in Sacramento, California. Well, I hate that for you. That's horrible. That's just horrible. Well, there's one thing I'd, I'd like to say. You know, uh, when we went rodeo and Casey, after he'd done born a buck, he had a punch bowl down in the hotel, Plains Hotel. She stayed at Cheyenne last year at Plains Hotel, $400 a room. <laughs> it was 20 but there's nobody in the grandstand at Cheyenne. Now, is this RFDD taken away, or they can't afford the 400 a night for a room? You watch Salinas, nobody in the grandstand. Half a building, nobody in the grandstand. So I don't know, but back then, it was like Pat Brady, that Nellie Bell, the Sons of Pioneers, those guys, you go to have a drink with them, visit with them, rodeo committee, you get to know people. I knew a lot of people on the Cowboy Hall of Fame. I knew a lot of people in Vegas. I mean big people. Today, with these corporations, you don't meet nobody in Vegas. They all got a team of bodyguards. And you don't meet none of these cowboys. Or if it's the ones, it's the ones you don't want to meet. And I got to tell you another story about Cheyenne. I went there the 100th year. Schultz Webster was there. And uh, Peck was there, Peck McIntyre. Wasn't no room to stay in Denver, Laramie, or nothing. I stayed on Peg's floor. He throwed me the top cover. But I, I was supposed to meet a gal. I took her riding for a director. I taught a gal on Baroness of Spain and the, the Baroness of Italy and the King of Spain's niece. And the directors send these guys for me to ride and stuff. And so... uh We were sitting, visiting, and George Strait was upstairs. And Cooper says, you want to go meet George Strait? Yeah. He said, you want a ticket for the concert tonight? I said, oh, hell no, I'll listen to you on the radio. This kid couldn't believe it, Bubba, that somebody. But anyway, they had uh, 
we ended up going. Uh, and we got a little trouble. We didn't have a pass to get in, packing us. But what was funny is Fred Whitfield and bunch of them was at Calgary just before Cheyenne. And I didn't know Fred. And uh, Benny Binion's grandkid got in a fight with him. And he knocked him down, and the grandkid got up, and he said something about him being a black guy. And so Fred had a big bodyguard, weighed about 300 pounds. So some black guy bulldogged or something down there, and I said, is that Fred? No, no, no. Didn't get to meet Fred, but I was at the finals that year. Here come Fred with his entourage, a couple of great big guys. Come here. I said, I'm going to save you some money, son. I said, I heard about that Calgary deal. And I don't know what these two guys cost you, but if Benny Binion was alive today, he'd pay you to whip that grandkid again. <laughs> And I give him a card, and I said, if you ever need any help. And he comes up, and he says, hi, wherever he's at. That's funny. I heard about that story, too, Jimbo. <clears throat> I hadn't heard that one. I, heard, I didn't know Alan was involved in it, but I heard that story. I didn't bit. know I was involved in it either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy moly. What was your favorite rodeo to rope at or bulldog at that you just knew you were going to do good every year? Or just the favorite one to go to? Well, uh, when I first started out, I went Fort Worth. And and Fort Worth was a hell of a cow town. It must have really been something back in the day. Because John Justin had dinner for people. And I was hauling Indian Jack Hardy. He was 100 years old. And take him over and get some boots and visit with people. And... Uh, it was quite a place. And uh, I never cared much for Denver. Uh, everybody gets sick at Denver. Because I think they pile that old dirt out there and it festers for a year and they haul it back. And everybody gets sick at Denver. I like the stock show over there. They're going to tear all that down. Uh I like a long score. I like Cheyenne. I didn't do any good ever at Salinas. In fact, that ground get a little sticky in the morning. I had a wreck out through there. <laughs> Got a picture of my face for straight down. Uh, now, Pendleton, you had to figure out Pendleton when you were green. Because they'd be behind you. They didn't have... They didn't have these fences on the side where your horse come down. No. They didn't have a little deal to haze everything. And uh, uh, just kind of had to figure out some things. I like Calgary. And I like some of the old timers in Calgary. But I stayed down at the old Palliser Hotel. And there was a big picture in there about Harry Knight. 
He come to town, he win the champion dog sled team. And the Queen of England bought the dog sled team. Said he left, left town with a bitch bulldog and a pink continental suit. Well, Harry Knight, I got to know him. I sold him a paint horse, a really nice paint horse. Outcrop horse out of them cowboy P-12s that Monroe Thompson rode, and they sold him for 12000 back when horses bringing 2500 And then I, Harry Knight had given me to run the arenas, and I didn't like running arenas, placing the arenas, because everybody would bandbath you, make a conversation piece about you. Well, you're the bad guy. Well, uh, The arena police. Uh <coughs> When Doyle Cobbler quit, then Harry Knight got me in, Christians and brothers. But here, if the Bulldogan for three days paid 400 and you got $200 a day to police the arena, which was the best deal? And some of these guys would bull up. Well, this guy that run Vegas sent me some letters that I was the best rodeo place he ever seen. He said, you got stuff stopped before it starts. As soon as that gal, that Coors gal, run over me on purpose and crippled me, I never heard a word from him. I went back to Las Vegas events to get insurance. This guy's never talked to me. So that's how they use you and get rid of you. But someday he's going to run across me. You got to catch the sun right. You know what I'm trying to say? John Ford done all those movies out in Utah. And this Mormon told him, he said, he said John Ford said, we're going to cross them cows this river at 8 o'clock in the morning. The old man said, no, sir, you're not. By God, we are, John Ford said. They bring the cows. Couldn't get one of them to step in the river. He said, now bring them back this afternoon when the sun's over there instead of the glare in their eyes and you'll pass them. So I'll catch them without the glare in their eyes. But there's some things people know that them directors and and I headed off my friend Peckinpah. I, I wished I'd have been around him when he'd done the Wild Bunch and stuff, but I don't know. But Ben Johnson and Casey Tibbs introduced me to him when he was doing Junior Bonner in Prescott, Arizona. And then after Convoy was over, he bought buying that ranch with uh, his friend, uh, uh Bon Rest, Livingston, Montana. And he says, I'll meet you up there on I-25. He's leaving Albuquerque. He's got that old yellow and black truck. Warren Oates had the place. And Sam's going to buy half of it. So I go by the rodeo office. I get some girls. We have a drink. And Sam's there a little early and we're late. He's walking this red dog I give him. And he's got a civilian hat on or 
And he said, they haven't heard about Alan Keller in his hotel. I said, I guess we'll find one they have. And so I introduced the girls. We head up the road and we get to Fort Collins where I went to school. There was a good steakhouse charcoal broiler. Well, he pulled into a place down there to get gas and liquor store and he got $279 worth of wine and dickel and put it on top of that tar back there where he had wood and all that shit going to Montana. Well, I don't know what he was feeding the dog, but boy, it stunk in the cab of that truck. <laughs> and it had a gas leak. And the tanks behind the seat and Sam smoking camels. I said, Sam, I don't think this is a good combination. <laughs> the dog and the camels and that gas. And we got to Sheridan, Wyoming. And I took him to King, met Don King, and we looked at the ropes and looked at every the old, whole mo motel, the bar, headed up there stopped and went, looked at Custer's last stand. He liked this guy. He didn't like this guy. In fact, he really didn't like this guy, and he went over there and went to the bathroom. So we get up there, and we meet his brother, Judge Denver Peckinpah. Sam's father was a judge when he'd done Ride to High Country. So... Staying at the old Murray Hotel, and Sam did build an apartment there. After he died, somebody bought it, wants to sell it for $250,000. C.R. Boucher was from Livingston. I went through there with old Indian Jack. He's 100 years old. He wanted to go see the madam that run the house. So we drove by there while Jack went and visited with her. I don't know if he owed her money or she owed him money, but I don't think you mention that up there nowadays. But that wind would blow and get cold. And uh, anyway, we're out there, and I get on my little mule, and I go get some. Grouse, and I get a young buck. I got him over the front, and I come down there. We got some groceries. The judge is cooking in this little cabin. Judge, what's the best case you ever had? Sam's laying in the bed, of course, drinking dickle. He went to talk about a case. Sam says, what about when you let them guys loose to cut that baby out of that lady in Beverly Hills? Now, Judge Peckinpah was riding a circuit. And down at Mojave, he catches this busload of kids and slaps her wrist, sends them home. It was Manson and his bunch. And they went right to Beverly Hills, Sharon Tate. The judge left four or five days later. We didn't see him four or five days. He's parked in front of Warren Oates' house. And Warren Oates' new wife, she wants to be Western. She don't have nothing under this silk shirt. 
She's calling the coons in the house, the raccoons. And Sam hits the old wagoneer of the judges 40 mile an hour right in front. And that's kind of the way it was, our first elk hunting. But I had a lot of friends up there with Sam. Met a lot of people, had a lot of good time. Tom McGuane, he messed up Tom Horn. I stopped in a little lounge there, the immigrant, going to the ranch that night, cold, and I got an Alaska pipeline and a watch cap on. This guy wanted to buy a drink over there. I see four people over there. I told the innkeeper, tell him I believe I'll buy my own. Well, that didn't set very good. He come over there. He said, if you don't let me buy you a drink, I'm going to whip you on. Rear end, I said, well, that's fine. You mind if I take my coat off? And he seen my belt buckle. He said, you ain't who I think you are. I said, you're the one doing the thinking. It was Tom McGuane that wrote, I think, Rancho Deluxe, or I don't know. But he lived up there with Peter Fonda, and I think he was married to Jimmy Buffett's sister, and... Peter Fonda was married to the pharmaceutical heiress. They lived, and they just switched wives right across the road. But that bunch was up there, and of course, see one Warren Oates once in a while, but I liked it because we backed up almost to the, the, we backed up to the Forest Service, and it was 20, 30 miles to Yellowstone Park. And all them elk and deer and everything migrate north for the winter. And I had a cabin site up there, but Sam hadn't got around to signing the sanitation permit. I never got... That would have been quite a place, me north of Yellowstone Park, as much as I like to hunt. Yeah. Did you ever get familiar with Steve McQueen? Hmm? Did you ever get... Familiar with McQueen? I met Steve McQueen and Junior Bonner. I'm sitting there where they're entering the rodeo. But when they get ready to shoot again, he couldn't find his shirt. He couldn't find his colored glasses. And the smoke out of that trailer seemed kind of funny. <laughs> and I went to a lounge there in Prescott. And Ben Johnson and Casey and Peckinpah was eating dinner and. Uh, Innkeeper said, I've got a guy in here that's run everybody out but the women. And he said, it's my big time of the year, the 4th of July. Casey said, you're lucky you got a joint left. <laughs> and I headed out the next day to go to Meeker, Colorado, and Calgary. And then I met Casey again. But then Peck and Paul made a lot of money when he'd done the getaway. Bobby Evans was married to Allie McGraw. Steve McQueen was going out with a Allie. Wasn't Ben Johnson in that? Now movie? they were down there in Texas. Yeah, I think so. so he gets Esquire magazine, they're gonna have a big party. Well, Peck and Paul locks out Bobby Evans so he can't come see his wife. Got a million dollars worth of publicity. He'd sit back laughing about things like that. But then Steve McQueen then went up burn. He just wasn't kite my, I was supposed to be the priest in Tom Horn. And they give it to Brown, 
Brown wrote Forest in the Night. He might have wrote The Outfit or one of them books that uh, Sam Elliott owned. They give him the job because Steve McQueen had fired Jimmy Gurgill. Jimmy Gurgill had the Caribou Ranch up in Colorado where they done all the recording, Elvis, Willie, because them, re- them things c- was as white as this room back then, cost a million dollars. They could stay at the ranch, and Gershio hired me to be the priest. And when they fired Steve McQueen, I wouldn't go. And Parsons had rubbed his jaw so raw underneath they had sheepskin, but I don't know why they let Steve McQueen put that on that horse. He's the same horse who was an outlaw in Josie Wells. That horse had made the head wrangler 750000 So just show you what a good horse back then Hollywood would make. So you know why Ben Johnson always took that black horse with him on the payroll. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't near as much then, but it was quite a bit of money. Yes, sir. I was going to ask him if he knew somebody else. Oh, Eastwood. Oh, Eastwood's quite a guy. Uh, I'll be right back, guys. Okay. You can keep going, Jimbo. Okay. Uh, Buddy Van Horn. <clears throat> He's gone. Was a stunt guy on Heaven's Gate. And it was a tough deal. Uh, we'd get home at 11, have a 3 o'clock call. And uh, all the bombs, all the horses, all the wagons. And Buddy Van Horn had been his stunt guy for I don't know how many years, Eastwoods. So, and I got along with Buddy pretty good. So he called me and wanted me to come up there and do this Pale Rider deal. So... Eastwood had called Tom Freakin, the guy that owned Gulf States Toyota, because Tom has had Spitfires, P-51s, Gulf Streams, and he flew the jet for Eastwood and Foxfire. And he owned a company called Cinema Air. He made them helicopters for Bubba Black Sheep and all that. Mm-hmm. So Tom flies in there and I pick him up and we go to the hotel. Well, I meet Clint and uh, we'd been doing some filming, but every night we'd go out to eat. And when I was on Heaven's Gate, I was taking out this pretty lady. The governor had come to the parties wanting to dance with her and I said, no. She gotta save herself for later. I'll dance with you. And <laughs> so I meet this guy. You know, if you go to dinner, Sun Valley, you'll meet some nice middle-aged ladies. And the old man's usually in San Francisco or Dallas, and <laughs> lawyer or accountant, and they might be a little bored or whatever, but. I meet this other gal, and she'd went to school with the same gal in Kalispell. And they both had went to school with Evil Knievel. 
So Eastwood said, did you do any good at the party the other night? I said, I had one, but she didn't come back. And I was laying in the street cold when they're doing the shots. He'd walk by with them spurs every once in a while. Never come back, he'd say. And it was cold. But then we're riding off the hill, and the helicopter shot, the first shot, is supposed to pan away from us. Well, Buddy had hired these Hollywood stunt guys. Half of them fell off the horse, and they were over the top of the iron horn. And when I reached up to get a hold of the camera under the helicopter, Buddy seen me, and he moved the helicopter. Well, I turned around, and these guys fell off their horse. Had to shoot it again. Then there's a guy that the first Miss Rodeo America shot him in the belly two or three times. Marie Mass, she was a hell of a hand. I went to school with her, she's older than me. He is a big shot stun guy. And Buddy wanted to get another shot because they had to get fuel in the helicopter. So he said, don't you think we ought to let the horses rest? I reached down my pants, pulled the radio out. You want to talk to Mr. Van Horn, the director? Oh, he ducked his head. I said, we'll get this shot. Put the radio back down. I didn't. It was warm. Next day, it snowed, laying out in the street, and Clint just kept filming. But he was great chum to go out to dinner party with. <coughs> and a nice guy, uh, but he just said, now, Alan... When he's swinging them clubs, he said, be careful, because it might hit here instead of here or whatever, so. He kicked you right between the legs, didn't he? So he wiped us out with the clubs, and then he showed that stick right in my lap. But it's so funny, that first shot deal, when they send the film back then instead of digital, L.A., part of the camera, shoot up the film, so we got an extra week shooting that again. But it's been the best film I've ever done. Residuals are the best, always on TV. But he had his whole crew, the same ones, for a lot of years. And he had Tommy there. He played minor Tom. Here's a, a billionaire. And we got a fire going in the street, rocks, and here's my friends standing around and, and some gals, you know, dressed up. They're playing cowboys, miners, and uh, got a chaw to back. And I said, Tom, uh, Tom didn't billionaire, didn't have a dressing room. Go use my dressing room, Tom. Make sure our wallets are locked up and stuff. He did. So he come out there, and this, this gal kind of heavy set and long in the front. <laughs> she is one of them sitting around there, and pretty quick the little gal, Sidney Penny's agent and them, they'd flew in. And they come a-walking up the street. We lost all the instruments in the airplane. Tom freaking, he said, we were lost. 
Tom freaking, he already had his minor outfit. He said, you're only lost if you give a crap where you're at. Well, that guy says, I'm worried about going back to Beverly Hills, Wizard Sun Valley. Tommy says, just keep the ocean on your right. See, he flew for PS Airline, flew all them helicopters, all them jets. So pretty quick, that guy come back. He said, I didn't know who you were. Yeah, yeah. But he was in the street. Uh, he always had a little job for all of his own stunt guys. Walt LaRue, all them guys. And uh, Buddy had got me the job off of Heaven's Gate. That's how that works. Yeah. <clears throat> there was a guy that I grew up with. He lived with us for when he got out of prison a little bit. And he was in the movies a little bit. I'm going to ask you if you know him. Did you know old Buddy Heaton? <laughs> he lived, he got out of prison and moved in with my granddad, Jimbo, yeah. and my grandma. Well, when <laughs> she took me to the Western store up in Kansas City, the guy asked me if I knew Buddy Heaton. <laughs> and then he told me Madlock Rose didn't break all them horses. Somebody else did. But he used to work for Tommy Mannion. And I asked him if he worked for Tommy Mannion when he was bringing that cocaine out of Florida and then MERS. And he got quiet. But Buddy Heaton's from Yucatan, Kansas. Mm -hmm. And he'd sit at a cell bar in them horse shells. And they, they had a guy from California who was pretty slick, and he'd get under them horses and all the fluff. Well, if they wanted to come by and buck, old Buddy would jump off on the back of him. Now, Buddy was a little Western. And when he went to Calgary, take that buffalo, they'd lock him up in jail and let him out during the day, clown the rodeo. But he had kids following him for a mile. And then he rode that thing up the stairs at Kennedy, the White House. He wasn't invited either. No, hell no. He said he about got shot by the Secret Service. He wasn't day. invited a lot of places. <laughs> but then he had a, a trading company called Black Hat Trading Company. And the Navajos had a lot of horses. Well, he didn't last down there very long. Well, then he had some racehorses. And I had some that wasn't in my name. Well, at Durango, Colorado, they wasn't going to let me through the gate. So I said, buddy, you got to get me a groom's license. So I have a groom's license somewhere with Buddy Heaton, his trainer. <laughs> and uh, the guys that seen me, they snitched to the jockey club in Colorado or whatever. This guy ain't brushing no horses, and he's got a groom's license. So they cornered me. I said, you got to talk to my trainer. <laughs> I said, if he, don't, if he likes the way I'm brushing horses, that's your problem. <laughs> oh, yeah, the kids. And he'd get, in the, he'd get in the shoot and help these kids. Um, he got a friend of mine, master friend of mine, riding a buffalo over there in Kansas somewhere. Oh, yeah, I knew Buddy. And I'll tell you what. 
those kind of guys are gone. Hank and George Mills is gone. The great relay riders were all four from Colorado. There was Cy Gray. There was the Murphys from Springfield. Hank and George Mills. And uh, a guy from Monta Vista. Now, Cy Gray, I'd haul him home from college. His wife taught school at Telluride. He owned H&G Livestock, Hotchess and Gray. And they'd have to make sure them checks covered to get some of them cattle from the West End over there. Well, one year it was a little slow, and he takes his semi, and he goes to Gallup, and he loans it up with a bunch of Indians that had been partying too much. He had them over there in western Colorado picking pinion nuts, riding around with his bull whip and his 45. And one of the Indians got away from him. He had a little hell. It'd be a felon hauling them out of another state to pick pinion nuts. But that's Hank and George Mills. Hank, George, Hank, George Mills. Madison Square Garden, all of them. If you had a bad bull and you didn't bring a bottle of whiskey and sat in that clown room, you're going to get hooked. Jasbo went to jump in the barrel and he'd turn the barrel upside down. He's sitting on the barrel and the bull knocking at a mile. But uh, they were raised, the sons of Katie Elders was there at Ridgeway. I go on, on. I talked to a lady, her son's in the movie business. I said, hell, I got a story as good as Deadwood. Deadwood made HBO a lot of money. The senior guy got in trouble. Mills lose $100 million with dementia at the racetrack. Deadwood and Sopranos making a lot of money. I've got a story, a series. But the problem is today, it's just like a bunch of this Yellowstone crap. I don't care about Yellowstone. I don't care about the Chinese money, where they're getting their money. And I think they're hurting rodeo right now, buying the PBR and the Cowboys. You look at the Cowboy Channel, you see two horseshoes up there. Five nail holes. Did you ever notice that? No. That ain't the kind of horseshoes I'm used to looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never noticed it either. And uh, I watched this bucking horse deal. I watched some stuff. The right people would give me some money. Them guys be out of announcing business. Them girls would be out of announcing business back behind. That's kind of a parade. Now, I understand you like turquoise. That's how we make our living. I understand this lady likes turquoise. I do. Yes, sir. I can tell by looking. I don't know. She's got a Rolex watch on, a bunch of silver. Oh, and a necklace. Yeah. I used to trade that. I have a Chrysler Imperial plum full of Navajo rugs and Indian jewelry when I come right here. Rodeo. Paid for some gas. No kidding. Dead pond, and I didn't live very far. I went to school with the first Navajo that went through vet school. Roommate. Road Bronx. 
They put him in charge of range management, and he was dead in a few years. There's a lot of animosity down there that people don't know about. But then they stopped the, the government come in and stopped the dead pond. The, the guy that owned the trading post, they were mainly all Mormons. You had a little room, just a little room. Pegs this long, all turquoise belts, all necklaces, all bracelets. And uh, they knew the squaw could make one big rug a year or two, and they knew what quality it was, so they'd let them have gas, food. They were the bankers for 100 years. Indians couldn't go to a banker on the Indian reservation down there. Part of them still don't have running the water. The government come in there and stopped all that. Now they they don't. They used to butcher an old ewe, go get a brush, wipe that ewe off, hang in there, and a fly would never land on that sheep. Now they all go the same place she goes when she goes across the reservation's Burger King. <laughs> it's history. And uh, my friend in Vegas was quite a ladies' guy. Like, like the mayor, Oscar, said, he was a lawyer for all the bad guys. He said, Dean liked the skirt a lot. But if I'd give 100 for a piece back there and get to Vegas, he'd give me 300 for it. Well, today it'd be worth 3000 No telling. You know what I'm saying. No telling. But she's got the contact. She's got the contact? She got it from the old man. Ah, she has. She does have the contact. the contact. The original contact. Yes. <laughs> the she hookup. She took us to the baseball game. Got to meet the head of the Kansas City Royals. Nice guy. Mr. Sherman. Yes. Got to meet a man that wanted to rope calves, Dave Owen. Yep. And he talks about going with Junior Garrison. Well, I Junior, he don't seem like a guy to be with Junior. Junior was drinking a little at the end. Mm-hmm. And he knew Sonny Worrell. He told me he had a book called Rope Burns. I said, yep. Then they sent her a picture. But he was Bob Doyle's campaign manager for a year. Nice guy. Yep. Said he win Monta Vista. He didn't win too many. He won Monta Vista. I'd like to get a copy of that old book, Rope Burns. Jimbo, I heard that's a great book. Yeah, I don't know much about it. Somebody's telling me about it just the other day, old Charlie. Rope Burns. Well, them people were from around Lubbock or down there. Towards Post or Amarillo, somewhere in there. I don't know. I'll talk to a friend of mine over towards Amarillo. There might be a used store there or something. Might have one. Yeah, if anyone comes up with one, send it to the museum over here. Ben Johnson Museum in Pahuska. Me and Jimbo would like to read it. I think it come out in the 70s. It's a pretty rare book now. And Dave, Dave Owen wrote it? No, he has a copy of it. Oh, he sent okay, me okay. a copy he of one of the pages copy. I got you. with Alan on it. I got you. Yep. Well, when I met him, he said, he put a lemon on me, you know, 
steer roper. Mm-hmm. I usually tell them I've never had nobody put a limit on me. Nice he, guy. Yeah. yeah. I remember when Bob Dole ran for president, you know. Yeah. He was a senator out of Kansas for yeah, a long yeah, time. Yeah. One of the longest sitting senators yeah. probably in history. Yeah. He was there for at least 80, 90 years, it seemed like. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, they need more of them good business like them guys around Rodeo, but... Well, what I see with these last commissioners and stuff is, you know, the one before the Caterpillar guy, he looked like a geek all the time, wanted to put something stretch on a rope so it wouldn't jerk the calves one way or another. His kid owned part of the company, I found out. Uh, they... Uh, and then the guy that went to the pen on the Balco deal, you know, the steroid baseball deal in California? Very little about it. Well, they had him as a commissioner there. and uh, They're picking some good ones, aren't they? <laughs> but the, 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 the thing I've watched about directors all my life, if it's old lap and lap and tap amateur, that's the way they want it. If they want the rear back rigging way up here in your face, that's the way they made it. And I don't know, the saddles, they just, the thing's a click because if you ain't in the right click, you don't get up at the right time. And would you rather, if you're riding Bronx, be up on a Saturday night or a Tuesday? The best bucking horse is going to be out on a Saturday instead of a Tuesday. If it's a night rodeo, them steers might be a little cooler than if they sit in the crail all day. And Jack Roddy always wanted to even them up. I went and got some steers from Jess Bernard, Pecos, Texas. This guy flew this airplane about five fields in New Mexico. Nope. These steers had horns like this. Take them off. The best I ever seen. Must have been two thousand steers there. And uh, Jack Roddy always said, "I want to even them up." Well, Jack don't know nothing about cattle. He run cattle all the time. He'd let them Hawaiians cattle took them over to the pond to get water, and they're sucking mud. There wasn't enough water in there. And I, I'd keep him away from the horses, animals, as much as I could. But it claims to be, you know, with all the Rancho Vistador, all this stuff. One to even them up. You, we go out here and get 100 steers out of one of these pastures. There's going to be 10 rough ones right here, a little more wilder. There'll be 10 dorsals, little tamer. Then you get them out of there. There'll be 10 more here, 10 more here. I don't care if they're bulldog and team roaming cattle or what. Well, once you know a set of cattle, I think you can take the best end off and the worst end off and leave you a pretty well, good middle when you of the haul herd. them all over the world and they're named after your kids. Well, yeah, yeah what, you can, once you know them by yeah, first name you, basis, you can do that for sure. Yeah, when you haul one from Houston to the national finals, it's kind of like... Your kids, you kind of know what they're going to do. Exactly. Yeah, we were in the rope and steer business the majority of my life. We were actually the only guys 
in the steer roping business for about 10 years. My Is dad. that when you put your pistol to it and got out? Uh, eventually, yeah, we smartened up and got out. <laughs> of the it took us about 25 years, but we did it eventually. We did it eventually. I thought well, my dad had a rodeo outfit, and I was never so glad when he sold it. I was 15 years old. I drove him to Denver and sold it to Neil Gay and Jim Shoulder. Well, I had to start paying stock charge around that time. And we we had to go up Norwood Hill, and my dad put about a foot, foot and a half on the back of this truck. And I was about 12 or 13, and the bulls shifted in the back, and the nose of that old Chevy truck was up in the air. And I'm looking two or three thousand foot straight down. And they shifted back was good because them old timers like my dad, you know, I don't know how many horses they had. They they farmed 500 acres under ditch in 1900. I don't know how many horses it took to run them plows. And they turn them loose in the mountain and go gather them. And, uh, but when they, they go from that horse and wagon, moving back and forth or riding that horse many a mile, trying to get a little more out of them, and they sit in a 46 Dodge, and the clutch, you know, they leave it in too long, shifting gears, and they're trying to get a little more out of that old Dodge truck, and you're looking straight off the mountain. You wondered if you was going to make it. It's kind of the way it was. And the judge, if somebody didn't like the way the judge, they'd going to stick a knife in him afterwards and all that. You know, I just, I was glad when the, the stock contractor in Utah was going to buy the bulls and he wrote a check. Mom got the mail about noon and called my dad to the house and, the check was for $500. On the back, it said paid in full. <laughs> Man, I could sit here all day. That's the kind of stuff you had to go through. I can only imagine what the roads were like back then. I mean, especially the mountain roads. Poor. You know, every time I'm driving across the country, my mind goes to wondering especially when we cross a big river. How the heck did guys like your dad and grandpa even get out there across those big rivers? How did it happen? Well, it's just like Butch Cassidy and them robbed that deal in in, uh, uh, Winnemucca, and the only pictures they had of them was at the cat house Mm -hmm. in Fort Worth, and it was pretty short time. How'd they get there? Yeah. But, you know, the Hotchkisses, where I live, was a big family name. They come in from Newfoundland or somewhere and looked at it and drove their livestock the next year. Hmm. But I'll tell you how they done it. Unless you were watching, you ain't going to know because they ain't going to tell you. Hmm. If you wasn't watching them old timers, you never learned nothing because they wouldn't tell you. They wouldn't show you what you was doing wrong with a horse or it's just watching. Eyes and ears. 
Some of them will tell you, but you got to ask. If you don't ask, a lot of them old-timers ain't going to tell you anything. For sure. What? I said some of them will tell you, but you got to ask. Well, the modern days they'll tell you, but there are a lot of them old-timers. I know we were going out to gather some cattle one time, me and my dad and grandpa. And I knew how we gathered the cattle there every time. How normally, but my grandpa wasn't always with us. And I went loping off and loped off in front of him. Got the worst ass eating I ever got. Yeah. Yeah, huh? Because he didn't send me off. He didn't <laughs> give me the this way or that way or, or that way. Well, you know, like California, Ace Barry was around Sonny Terman, mm-hmm. Martinelli, John, I, all them guys. They learned damn near everything they knew from Sonny Terman, and he was as good a hand as walked. Uh, quite a cowboy, but you know, I have guys like Paul Mayo go up and introduce yourself. I'm Paul Mayo. He said, that's nice. Keep walking. What about oh, uh, Larry Mahan? Did you ever have any run-ins with him? Oh, no. Is he a good fellow? We, we got along good. Uh, he just passed and, away. Well, you know, you, know, uh, you know, when he was important, he kind of was important, but I always seemed to get along with him, got along with him better later in years. I know we was at San Bernardino, and uh, I was sitting across the booth from Ace Barry, and Larry sat down, he got a French fry. Then pretty quick, he got a piece of meat. Ace cutting it up, and then Larry ordered a steak, and Ace just stuck his fork in it and throwed it out on the floor. <laughs> so, but yeah, I was around Larry, you know, when he was in Phoenix, and then he was around the cutting horse guys. Uh, but not a, not a whole lot. Seemed he, like a good guy. Like he helped rodeo at the time a lot because uh, of the name, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, he was a good ambassador for rodeo. He was on that wide world of sports when they do a rodeo, you know, and stuff. He was on TV a lot. Well, I think this little right kid's going to help rodeo a lot, too. He ain't very smart. I mean, he ain't no smart aleck. He ain't very fancy. He just... Mm-hmm. Just clean cut, just yeah. does his job and... Seems like a nice kid. Yeah, he does. They can ride a bad horse or a bad bull, either one. Yeah. Holy moly. Holy moly, that kid's good. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of them kids cracking out riding them bulls, uh, them bulls and them horses you never heard of. Not so many with the bulls, but in that bronc riding, there's a lot of them kids cracking out you never heard of. That's good to see. Yep, for sure. There's a lot of steer ropers cracking out I've never heard of here lately. Yep. So, Well, hey, listen. They wouldn't crack out if they had the steers we roped in the day. <laughs> I bet so. Because when you ride up on the left side of a steer and throw the trip over there, and you don't have the hondu over there where it belongs, and you go that away. You might be like Crosby and them pictures you got here in the museum. You know, I roped, you a, 
You better have something to catch them horses, especially on the second jerk. Yes, sir. People don't realize what that second jerk is unless they've actually been there and done that. Well, you I don't see think. them horses on the second jerk, they're out here. They're in the collar. If they don't have nothing to catch them on that second jerk, I was getting off my horse way too fast one time, Jimbo, when I first started roping steers. And uh, that second jerk sent me flying like I shot out of a slingshot or something. <laughs> way off over there. And jerked my horse that way. Away you from lucky me. you got your leg out. Yeah, yeah. Lucky. lucky what, I'm lucky that I hit on my head anywhere else I would have hurt me. Well, that's you know? what happened with a lot of them guys, the big steers that drove their head right in the ground. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've seen it happen many a time. I'm not near as big a steer as you're, you're used well, to. Well, it happened to me on Randy. Randy run a little high, and John Miller didn't want me to take him to Lander, Wyoming. And uh, I said, well, hell, they got team roping. We've got to have something to rope on. So... I don't know what I was on the first steer. The next steer come out, went left towards the fence. I just throw the rope out there and come back. And uh, Prathers was raising cane. He said he didn't turn off at 45 degree. Rule book said. I said, if your horses ain't broke enough to bring them back, don't tell me. So I flew to Greeley and when Third and a team roping with Tiny Bradford, and I flew back into Lander, and it was over. And Johnny Joe Miller come to me. He said, you got all the money. They had a Wyoming roping in with the PRC roping in. And uh, I said, really? He said, yeah. And the secretary was late. And all these cowboys, the 4th of July run was over. So everybody was waiting to get paid. And we was going to Gillette the next day from Lander. And uh, it was real slow. And Prathers was yakking about, I shouldn't have won that because I brought him back. It says if you go buy one and you didn't get a trip, you can't come back buy one. See what I'm saying? Yes, sir. But if you're behind them and you go this way. So anyway, Johnny Joseph got all the money, so we're waiting, we're waiting. This old boy with a hat watered up on his head had a, <laughs> a stepside pickup, but he had a box hanging out of the tailgate was down about four foot it was plumb full of beer ice and beer and John Dalton was there I'd heard John Dalton was pretty salty when he was young ah uh, Harris was there Nick Harris and Nick's old man was there a buck Indian and uh, there was two or three hundred people there and this guy wanted to arm wrestle somebody, double or nothing. 
for the beer. I got my shades on, but I got pretty good peripheral vision. And I see them looking, I see them looking. And I act like nothing happening. I looked over at Johnny Joe pretty quick. I go, so <laughs> I ease over there and I lay on the beer, ice and beer and the, the rack up out of the pickup. I said, well, that arm wrestling ain't nothing. What about a drinking, fighting, or another kind of contest? He throwed that hat down in there, that watered up hat. Get it on. Well, they went to grabbing my glasses, my hat. This sucker stuck it on me before I thought we had it on. <laughs> well, most guys back away, you know. It's like a horse. You back away, you get kicked, you're gonna, something's going to happen. I just moved into him. And when I come out with them uppercuts here and there, he go down. he go down. I let him up. he go down. Oh, but I said, I want your two buddies in on this same deal. He was an ex-pro football player, bought a mo motel up there. He was, I said, I don't want to get in trouble with a committeeman. No, no. So anyway, he go down. He go down. Ear kind of come down. Nose went over there. So his two buddies, it's over, it's over, it's over. So Nick Harrison, his dad, sitting there, to two of them Buck Indian. He said, and I went over and got a, a beer and a chunk of ice. You might need one of these. Just dropped them right in the dirt. Now, there was two pretty good-looking ladies or three watching this deal. And it don't hurt to get a little publicity once in a while. If it's good or bad, you just got to sort it out. So, uh, I said, the party's on me. This old boy said, I don't know if he's that good a shape if I can, old Buck Indian, not with him knocking you down with either hand. <laughs> so, they had a party at the Legion that night, and we go up there to get our horse the next morning. We got to go to Gillette. It looked like it snowed beer cans. <laughs> That's how I mean. We get to Gillette, and I'm winning the first three go-round. Sonny, damn it, goddamn son, you don't have to win every go-round. <laughs> and uh, usually when you're winning, you go last, but they had me first. Well, I got sensed up, and Ronnie Ross is going to ride this half-buffalo in Brahma. They put him into bucking shoots. He went right through them old bucking shoes like balsam wood and was in the arena. So I told this guy with me, go get him out of the arena. And Billy Irwin had had a wreck, had a stiff neck. He's flagging. I roped his steer. I'm going to win it all. I had myself bought in a Calcutta. And Randy fell. And I got clear of that rope, and I'm looking back. I thought it broke his back. And the steer was going to try to get up, and Randy got up. And Randy keeps him down, and I'm 24-something on him, still winning fourth and average, winning a bunch of money. I'm riding out of the arena, and the people that own all the land, and 
Northeastern Wyoming were there. Key lines. You know where that gal is on Fox News? She's from up at Torrington. Uh, above Lusk, above Torrington, that whole country. Key lines. And I went to school with one of the daughters, and they had their diamonds, all that fancy stuff sitting on the fence. Said, Alan, you ought to thank the Lord you didn't get hurt. I said, if he cared, this horse wouldn't have fell down. Just kept riding. He come to the trailer, and he said, I've never looked at it like that. I said, well... I had a gal with me one time up in the mountains, a pack string, and a whole tree come down and stuck right in front of my mule. I said, sometimes you don't have to worry about it because you're still with him. You see what I'm saying? But they used to have some great ropings up there. Uh, Sheridan... Lander, Gillette. My belt buckle, my grandpa wanted it, Lander, 1956. At, uh, at, uh, Lander, Sheridan? No, Lander, Lander Pioneer Days. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, uh, I had a horse, I had a 101 on him, Marvin Cantrell. He's told me this many times. He said, Alan, I was broke. And Marvin always had a good-looking horse. And... He'd kind of work on his horse a little too much, I thought. But I didn't do nothing but team rope on him. At the national finals with Sonny Terman. And uh, Nick Harris was here at Pawsky. What do you want for that horse? 3500 Alan, that's a lot of money for a horse. And I'd give two for him with the guy in Vegas' money. Because I knew I could use him in the team rope and come to the final on him. <coughs> Bobby Harris is down. Nick wanted to buy him. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. You take him up there to two Wyoming ropings the next weekend. If you don't win nothing, you don't owe me nothing. If you win something, you owe me 3500 he went a bunch of money. And then that trailer, they had them short shots, Grummel or Grimmel, come unhooked, lost the horse. Why did all those little trailers come unhooked back in the day? Because you hear tons of stories that, you know, even Shelt Webster and his great horses, you know, came the, unhooked. Them inlines? Yes, sir. Those short shots, I feel like, or inlines even. Well, when they had to haul one horse, um, they come out with a one-horse trailer, then people from Conroe, Texas, then Walker, uh, then boys from Catula rope calves. Walker boys had it. And that guy made me a hell of a trailer for $500. But like when I come to Pecos, only I had one horse, I brought that trailer with me. I sold it for a thousand, but those I don't know them short shots. I never had them, but uh, a short shots like a inline, but for only one yeah. horse, not two horses. For everybody yeah. that don't know but what see, one then, is. 
Then I got a couple of them goosenecks when they come out, see. But see, I always drove a short wheelbase because they're going in and out of their mountains all the time. That's what. What, what made them come unhooked all the time, though? Was it the way they, the way that was there even a ball back then? I don't know. Yeah, or did they ball, shackle right? them, or you just hear a lot of horror stories of some of the greatest horses, rodeo horses ever, those old inlines coming unhooked and killing them. Shows, yeah. well, Shows. that's one of the main ones. Uh the horse that I never had no trouble. Uh, I left Rio Dosa one time with Dash for Cash and a mare in the back. Uh, that went a lot of money. And I had to go over there and catch interstate, but it wasn't long before I was in Albuquerque with that Chrysler Imperial. Dash for Cash got really sick after the trials, all-American trials, but he went the jet deck at Albuquerque. But I hauled him in a mare called Passover that was by Passum up that went a lot of money. Uh, instead of putting them in that van, I, I hauled them. I put my other horses. That Dash for Cash, that's a famous horse name well, right there. One of the most know, famous. One of the most famous horses' names. Everybody says Dash for Cash this and that. <clears throat> he was, they didn't know much about him when I took him to the gates. And... Uh, I had Wendy Ryan, a BF at least, a two-market mare from the King Ranch. And uh, let me see, uh, Rocket Ranger was the father of day. He was a slow breeder. Now, here's a true story. Cashew... And they had him there at uh, Roswell breeding him. He was slow, and they sold him somewhere up in here. He's a slow breeder. But Bubba was trying to sell him to a lady that had a big ranch in Australia. If they sold that horse, there wouldn't have been no dice for a case. And Mr. Phillips had, had the two-market mare, thoroughbred mare, had a brother who wasn't worth a nickel. I sent him out to a friend of mine to make a reining horse. But uh, they had a horse called First Down Dash. Bred more mares than all of them. First Down. Uh, Millie Vessels, they got in a cup a little bit at the sale. At the All-American sale, and I used to go with D. Wayne Lucas... Bubba Cashel, we'd write down one, two, three, and four. And we usually always had number one, two, and three might be turned around, and four was usually. Now, they sold first down, uh, uh, what's his name, first down days? Mm -hmm. The one that's got all the colds. Uh, and Millie thought she bought a filly. 
the next day. She brought a Kryptorkin. He only had one. <laughs> and he produced more bigger, longer, more horses dash for case did. Ain't that crazy? It just shows you. A one-nutted stud get more than the uh, well old dash for cash. Lay more down. You know, if you get around these trainers, they want to sell you a high-priced horse like Jumanville bought just an old love, Dashenay, and Queen for cash. They all cost, they cost a million when BF sold. They bred them to Aliador. They bred them to everything in the world. Never produced one colt. And you take kind of a so-so mare there, and she's liable to throw it all. And there's so many of them mares I can talk about Biocola. I can talk about all them mares, them big thoroughbred mares and stuff. I've yet to see one of their colts. Rags to riches, I haven't seen one of her colts. I heard about one of them somewhere. She went to Belmont. I seen her in California, and I bet a water on her at Rio Dosa. It took R.D. Hubbard and them an hour and a half, two hours to get the money. And a friend of mine was wondering where we was going to lock it up. I said, we're not going to give it back to R.D. Hubbard to lock <laughs> up tonight. You carry half, I'll carry half. They got to take it from you. Well, Jimbo, what else you got for Alan today? Oh, man. We've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> we sure. have covered a lot of ground today. For There's sure. Some legendary stories and a lot of rodeo history there for sure. Uh, just like to thank Shailene for bringing him down. Welcome. And coming through the museum for us. And we really appreciate it. And I know this will be a good podcast. A lot of people. Well, Shailene's it. got her horse. She's a cowgirl. Yeah. I've just heard conversation. I never got to see how well, nothing goes. Well, school her up on that breakaway. I'd like to see her in that breakaway rope. No, no. How's it feel to be uh, back in the town that uh, crowned you a world champion, Alan? She, huh? How's it feel to be back in this town that well, you were crowned a world champion? And I talked to Rick Groves on the way down here. Run, used to run a lot of cattle here. Yes, sir. He said it's changed a lot, so I wanted to go look around. And that road split as we come in. Is that other road over there where Ben Johnson and John Miller live? Yeah, it's still there. <coughs> yeah. the, the new highway just bypasses yeah. it. Pig stand's gone. Pig stand's gone. Love it's a little the pig stand. Yeah, yeah, they got an old trailer out there you can get a hamburger at yeah. now. I think it's they're back open again. They, they, they named it Roosters, I think. Huh. And then Waylon, J.B. Smith, and all them guys be playing cards or something down there. The smokehouse. Probably at the smokehouse. Yeah. yeah, that's the is name of it. Is it still there? Uh, no. No. Is it? What, what is it? Well, it's there. The yeah. old Domino Parlor yeah. card yeah. playing place. But it's they, not open, is it? I don't think they're playing anything yeah. in it anymore. Yeah. Unfortunately. Did, is John still with us? Yeah, he's around the corner there. Yeah, the great John Israel set in on all this. Yeah, he's John Israel's been sitting back here the whole time, taking listen, it all in, taking it all in, listening to his old well, buddy. You Alan's know, he don't stories. say much. He always was good about taking it all in. Yeah, yeah. That's why he knows something. Right, right. Yeah, we sure like him around here. Yep. Well, yep. this is fun for me because I've never been here with Alan, so it's 
kind of just reliving a little bit of his history. Yeah, this is the I town that he wanted. to go feed these guys something, huh? I think so. I'm with you guys. I think it's about time to go eat. You got us a good Ben Johnson story to take us out since you knew him? Oh, yeah, I got some Ben Johnson stories. This is the Ben Johnson uh, Museum. Alan knew him personally, was friends with him and his nephew and his whole family, and he even knew his mom. I was driving up Interstate 5 one day, going in towards L.A., pulling my horses, and I pulled up beside, I think it was kind of a pink-colored Cadillac, lavender kind of pink. And I looked over there, and there him and the missus was. And I laid on the horn. He looked up and pulled over, and we visited. But he, when he first lived out there, uh, going up towards Ventura, a bunch of them, I, I think I and Johnny Joe stayed there with him a night or so. But you know, that saw a horse in there, that streak face saw a horse, and she wore a yellow ribbon. It's about as good as any horse that'll get across that mountain country in that rough terrain. You know, he jumped a ravine, and it looks like a wide ravine where the camera is. But he runs up there, and the Indian's behind him. He comes back, and he jumps it over here where it's a little narrower. But I don't know where he got that horse. I'd like to know because I love that horse going across that rough country. Because if you head on that rough country and you don't have a horse that's got a feet on him, light a foot, you're going to have a wreck. Yeah. And I just, you see, I, that's the way Ben got a lot of them jobs. Yeah. That's kind of how I got a few jobs. I wasn't nothing compared to Ben, but it kept an old broke with knee operations. It kept me in chewing tobacco. Oh, Peckinpah, he seemed to really like Ben. He, uh, oh, yeah. he, went, he went for Ben hard in that last pitcher show. He even called old John Ford to well, call I, Ben to I'll tell him tell to do the what. deal. Peck and I, we went elk hunting. Immigrant Peak, Montana. And I set Sam off here, and I tied up the roan mule. And I went up above, and the wind was blowing. And uh, I got in some elk. And pretty quick, I heard Sam shoot. I got a big one. Where is it at? It's up there. Where's it at, Sam? Get on up here. So I see he's a little closer. Finally, I find the elk, and it's a calf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's big. How big? Well, his eyeballs are bigger than his testicles, Sam. <laughs> really? So he sits down there for us. He, he shot a 264, and he was left-handed. So we sit there. I said, we need to get our ass back to the cabin. And we were quite a ways. And I didn't like the timber up there because where the elk and stuff would break it off, it stuck straight out, them pines. 
and it was sharp. And I had two mules up here. And I let his brother-in-law off. He walked off there. He was a big, long-legged guy. And so we get over the mules. And I got a poncho, an army poncho. I put on salve because it went to raining. Mule went to bucking going downhill. And he's got a hold of both saddle horns. And I running past, come on, Sam. God dang you. I'll tell Ben Johnson. Then he went to bragging, Ben Johnson. Oh, my legs are hurting. I'll tell Ben Johnson. So I get the wrong meal and I just tie the rope over there. We head to the cabin. You dirty, you dirty so-and-so. He says, uh, said something about how great Ben Johnson was horseback. I said, you ain't seen nothing yet. So the next morning I get saddled up and get the pack mules. We're going after the meat. And he's laying out on the lawn with a bottle of Dickel. And I holler at him and I head this mule at him. And this mule jumps, and Sam throws his arms up, and that mule kicks at him. So I come back at him. I said, I've heard enough about Uncle Ben for a while. Oh, he went to cussing. I said, you get that black and yellow truck up here as far as you can sometime today. But I had a lot of fun with Sam. He caused a lot of problems. I took him to Vegas, and we had a good deal to do the Benny Benyard story, but his kids was too small, and then they're going to do the sheriff's story. They wrote a lot about it, and then they had that Quaid kid mess it up. Uh, supposed to meet him in Mexico. He's with old John Houston, and John Houston, they bring some wine for Sam to okay. He says, is this all you got? And pitched it over his shoulder and broke the whole deal. But it was like that everywhere. Uh, but, you know, Sam was a funny guy. Uh, he'd get to drinking, and it was just like flipping a light switch when he'd go goofy. And sometimes I was with him when he went goofy. <laughs> But I had a hell of a time with him in Mexico. Uh, uh, the guy that they'd done the Oscar off of, Melchor Perasquia. No, uh, Emilio Fernandez. Juan Emilio Fernandez. Now, he's outlaw. The Mexican guy with the big teeth and all them movies. Go have lunch with Sam and this guy for four or five hours. But Sam had a knowledge, well, like right in the country. He just done it about people that was, that's why I liked Mac Evans so much. Cable Hogue, one-eyed guy, my partner. It was country people that he liked. But he was tough on them actors like Steve McQueen. They were supposed to do a three-picture deal. 
They only got a two. That's fun. Yep. Holy moly. Old Sam, did he die last year? Is that when he died or two years no, ago? Sam died years ago. He died ago? 58 years old. He went to Mexico and got a hold of some stuff. He probably shouldn't and blowed his heart out. Oh, no. But uh, Tragic Hollywood story. Yep. And you know, to work for a guy like him and this Milch, this Milch was a genius. NYPD Blue, Hill Street Blue. He went to Harvard or somewhere. Nothing like my kind of guy. But when he rolled with his language, I give him eyes. And uh, Eastwood, we come off the hills shooting everything, and that gal that was long in the front end grabbed that milk cow by the rope. Anytime you got a hold of a rope and a cow or horse running downhill, you're in trouble. So I just thought I'd shorten the grief, and I had one more blank. I just throwed a shot over there. <laughs> Clint was way back there on the hill, and pretty quick, he's, how things go, I go. He says, you want to shoot the milk cow, huh? I go, mm-hmm. Somebody come in? I don't know. She needs to stop. But anyway. Well, I'm glad you guys brought me and my daughter down here. Well, we're glad to have you. Thank you we'll all so much back. for coming. and uh, We'll get back. Perfect. Come back for the Ben Johnson this year. I think we might. All right. I need to go look at a little turquoise. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. All right, everyone. This has been another episode of the Cowboys of the Osage podcast. We'll see you next week on behalf of me and Jim Bowen. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, ma'am, for coming. Thank, Thank you, guys. You. Old stories like long-lost friends. Rodeos and late-night bends. History before our time Round pens and pasture rides Cowboys of the Osage